0: Where, where were Palestinians born? What was, all, what was all this area before the First World War? When Britain got the mandate over Palestine, what was Palestine then? Palestine was then the area between the Mediterranean and the Iraqian border. You say there is no such thing East as Palestine. East and West Bank, no. East and West Bank was Palestine. I'm a Palestinian. From twenty-one until forty-eight, I carried a Palestinian passport.
1: Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from
2: the last 24 hours.
1: Thursday, January 11th, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. Important developments. The International Criminal, uh, excuse me, International Court of Justice and the Genocide Convention officially began today. And as I understand it, and we're going to get into this in the latter half of the show, today was, pre- was focused entirely on the presentation from the side of the accusation of genocide against Israel. And I believe tomorrow, Israel will be given the opportunity to respond. And I think it's, it's already very telling and, and obvious what it seems Israel's plan here is, to ultimately argue that nobody's here to testify on our behalf because they're all dead, or arguing that, and this is the statement they've been making already, and people supporting them online saying that October 7th somehow justifies anything that they're doing. And you may agree with that, but you have to understand from a legal perspective to argue that what they're doing constitutes genocide, that's, there's nowhere within that legal par- parameter that you could argue that it, it suddenly becomes allowable if the thing that happened before it was worse. It's really interesting from the, the argument that's being made. So we're going to go over this today and show you the arguments being made, discuss why this is so important, and 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 so, I mean, unprecedented, really. I mean, I think this is a huge shift in the way that the average person is understanding the larger situation around the illegal state of Israel, the occupied Palestinian territories. It's an important conversation. And really, in no way are these things meant to be one versus the other. That's how they're trying to pit this conversation, you know, everybody against themselves. You can absolutely believe literally everything they said happened on October 7th, despite the fact that even their own news outlets and people that were there have already proven that most of what they argued didn't even happen. And I'm talking about the atrocity propaganda, not that people weren't killed or kidnapped. Point being, though, that even if everything you think that they said is true, it still does not rationalize, justify, make it legal to commit genocide, to state you're committing genocide, and to openly argue that this is somehow really, as you've heard over and over and over, that they're all human animals, that there's nobody innocent. I mean, these are, they've legally trapped themselves. Now, really, the question is whether or not this court has any, first of all, whether it will truly see this through in the way that is obvious. And then secondarily, if they do argue that something needs to happen, whether Israel will even care about that. There's no legal arm from this to make them do what they are, you know, what, what the, what this results in. And they have already, already seen even UN resolutions where Israel just disregards what they agree to. So it's an important development, regardless, because it will draw attention. I think that's how this will ultimately go, is it will just create a shifting dynamic in the way the world deals with the Zionist state of Israel, which, as I think most people are becoming clear, aware of, has not been honest since its inception. Now, we're also going to get into, to start, a, a, a quick little segment about disease X. I thought this was important just because I continue to see this build and it's really alarming the kind, the people that are still involved with this conversation, people like Peter Dazak and, and all this, the trappings of the whole, the, you know, the groupings you might expect, even connections with people like, Peter, like uh, Anthony Fauci. It's really frustrating to see that all that was proven can be proven, even discussed, even, you know, even to the point to where it's being argued and debated within the mainstream conversation at least showing you that it's not some fringe conspiracy concept, like the idea of the lab origin conversation. The point being that this is all in front of you, as David Martin points out, so egregiously public. And yet the same people doing the same things, even continuing gain-of-function research, have just carried on. It it needs to show you something very, it's very alarming, but it needs to show us all that, what we think we ha- the the effect we think we have on the way that the world works might be wrong. That we really don't have much influence on what they ultimately do, and I think we need to come to terms with that. And that's that's uncomfortable because it most people think we've got some kind of mechanism through the courts or through some you know protesting or, or political action. And I think we need to kind of recognize that those things are meaningless to people in these levels of power. What that means we should do that's for, that's the conversation we should be having. Now, I want to talk about that to start just so you don't miss how I, I clearly see this building into something new. I think everybody begin, is feeling that. A point about censorship on Twitter that I think is really interesting that kind of dovetails briefly with the point about Gaza. And a really great piece of work as as pretty much everything he's been doing. I mean, I'm a, great, I'm a big fan of Dan Cohen, but in particular around the this arm of the conversation of Israel and Gaza. Had a really great piece of work in regard to Netanyahu and and his cabinet essentially what he called an all-out psychological and media war against the people that are trying to get their families back. That's exactly what I've been trying to show people and he really breaks it down very well with videos showing you that they're basically lying. And we're going to have a great segment, I think a really important segment showing yet again that as I wrote in the title, it's being admitted by IDF insiders that the hostages were I mean secondary would be would be a would be giving them something It's obvious to me that they either didn't care at all about the people that were there. And I mean, from like the upper echelons of power, not necessarily every IDF member, because I think they're being lied to. But really, worse than that, that they deliberately have tried to kill them. And I think this is beginning to become undeniable. At some level, there's some kind of mandate here to make sure that these people don't come back with stories that are going to hurt them. And that's the other part of it where the Hannibal Directive has been admitted to more than once by colonels in their military, by members of the IDF, and yet we still debate whether this is something that's at least being driven by some faction of their government. It's very important to see this. And and on top of that, the bigger conversation around the hostages themselves, how the very, very clear majority of the Israeli population want them back. First and foremost, before anything else happens and the government doesn't care what they think. And that's what we're seeing, that they're pushing back. They're attacking them, psychological warfare and so on. And then trying to frame it as if anything, including their own actions, even if those actions are unjustified or even if those actions are not connected in any way to something that might be blamed on Hamas, just is Hamas's fault because Hamas started the whole thing like we're in kindergarten. I mean, that's really the level of argument that we've begun to see and i think the important part of that is a really great article by the wire and directly quoting their sources from the idf hostages weren't our top priority. It's a really important article actually to go through a lot of great sources, really powerful information showing you it's it's a great compilation of all the different pieces we've been trying to put together for you over the last 4 months in regard to the people that have come home from gaza saying that they were most afraid of the israeli idf members as well as the people that were there before they got taken, admitting they saw the IDF shoot people. And I mean, it's just, it's this really great compilation of how it's, you can't deny that this is not about the people of Israel or the people of Palestine. It's about the Zionist agenda at all costs. And then, of course, the latter half of the show today is going to be focused on the International Court of Justice and the Genocide Convention and just how important this all is and and how they're, Dealing with this is even exposing more than I expected. It, the, the, really, the argument is you're racist, just like we keep seeing. Anybody. You know I mean? The entire criminal court now, they're just racist anti-Semites. This is what we're essentially getting now. Or anybody. The Red Cross, the United Nations, Oxfam. Anybody comes out and just goes, well, we do disagree. We have a different opinion. We don't see the evidence that you see. It just becomes immediate attack, racist, anti-Semite. And that's not working. I mean, you can't just start lobbing attacks at literally anybody anywhere that doesn't have your opinion. And I mean, like to the point to where you see these people getting angry, like the ones in front of the UN attacking, just broadly looking at anybody who will look at them and just attacking and calling names and you're all part of it. And like, it's really unnerving and it's waking people up. And I think that's a good thing. So let's get started with the first part in regard to the disease X conversation. Jurassic Carl shares this tweet. Preparing for Disease X, January 17th, 2024, World Economic Forum Annual Meeting. Actually, I forgot to grab this. Uh, Derek did a great article today in regard to the upcoming World Economic Forum uh, meeting, which of course, just like in 2021, weirdly enough, is focused on rebuilding trust. (laughs) I wonder why, because they've never regained it or even had it, quite frankly. But the point is that this is I feel like that's a good thing to recognize that they're taking steps back, but it's not stopping is the main point. As he writes, the world as World Economic Forum prepares for 54th annual meeting, international activist movements offer alternative vision. And he uses this as an opportunity to make sure you don't forget about the greater reset and the many other the, the, the better way conference, I believe, and many other conferences that are of the mind that there is another path forward. And it doesn't have to be the direction of technocratic elites can decide your future or we're all going to die. There's a lot of other things that we could be doing that, in fact, are better for you, for the planet, for society, for freedom. But it just doesn't give them the power they want, of course. Important. Check this article out. But on that point, that's what this is connected to, that these are all larger conversations. Now, the thing that really worries me about this is, is that we've gotten to this a place of such it's just so opaque. It's like everything else we're seeing where they're ju- just to understand what this is really saying. This is not something that they're beginning to see the outlines of. This is not some, you know, we, we're beginning to test and some things are showing up and we think this is the budding of some new disease. That's not what they're saying. This is about some broad unknown hypothetical. The, the, the disease X implies that there's there could be something that might be worse the next time. And that's what the X, that, that this is like a planning for the unknown. Okay, well, you could do that about literally anything. You could just plan for how that will be worse the next time. Or the bottom line is, it's not about just planning and preparation. They're trying to drive action based on the fact that the next one could be worse or not, or the last one wasn't real. You know, however you want to look at it. Either way, this is very alarming to me. Uh, K. Burb writes Davos takes on disease X, quote, with fresh warnings from the World Health Organization that an unknown. Disease X could result in 20 times more fatalities, or, you know, a thousand times, or one times, or a million times. You know why? Because it's completely hypothetical and there's no basis for you to just go 20 times. And that's, that's, I'm agreeing with Kate Burp here is so what they're ultimately doing is just pretend, yeah, you could be 20,000 million times more worse. So we may, we better get ready. <laughs> I meant that to sound stupid. The point is how independent of fact this actually is what novel efforts are needed. He goes on to talk about this. You can read the thread. There's some good stuff in here. The point is hype, worry, the new thing, it's coming. And of course, here is a little clip from the BBC, coronavirus plus you posted this uh, today, new vaccine research facility to work on a vaccine for disease X. Now we've talked about this little game already, which by the way means Exactly what you might think, gain of function. Because disease X is not a thing. There's not a real thing out there that they're working or aiming at. It is an unknown. So, how exactly do you make a vaccine for a completely unknown hypothetical? You work at everything. You get viruses, you make them worse, you make a vaccine for it, even though that's not really what they're doing, right? This is gain of function work. This is dual use technology. That's weapons. That's what it really is. And there is no logical way to explain how you can guess a one in a billion possibility that the one thing that might happen next, the point is that they're working on weapons. They're working on making things more dangerous. And then I guess they tell us they make a vaccine for it, assuming it even works. But really what it comes down to is threat and concern. Like Dr. Boyle have told us that these things are exactly what ultimately get out, if not used. Now that's for you to decide whether this is that concerning that they're actually using these on people in the world, which I believe. But if you just want to be simple about it, how about just the risk that why make more things be dangerous that don't exist for the random thin possibility that it might just end up happening so you happen to have a vaccine ready? That is crazy despite the fact that in the record in the past, they've admitted from Fort Detrick, one leak every three days for seven years straight on the on the sole of people's shoes and that's supposed to be a BSL4 I believe. and yet we let them run for with things like this.
0: Government has unveiled a new vaccine research facility where scientists are working to prevent future pandemics.
1: Yeah, a vaccine research facility, that is a weapons facility. That's what this is. That's just what they call it these days. And that's you people will dispute that until they're blue in the face. It is a simple, static reality. If you're making something that could be used to kill somebody, or you're doing it because you claim you're making a vaccine to help it in case it comes out, what's the more likely possibility? And even then, regardless, it still applies in dual use because it just as easily could be used as a weapon. If you're of the kindergarten mind that these people have your best interest in heart and they would never, ever do that, you're not paying attention.
0: It's located at Porton Down, a high-security research facility best known for its work on chemical warfare. Experts are preparing for what is known as Disease X, or the next pandemic virus.
1: Yeah, so Porton Down. Shocking, right? Of course. It's just, this is exactly what he says. That figures. So all this really amounts to, guys, is the preparation for rather the broad, undefinable justification for the continuation of everything that got us here in the first place. That's just like that. Glance away for 30 seconds, and we're right back to gain-of-function research. By the way, that never stopped. That's the real point. But Sandra Whedon points out, panic, panic, Juno's coming. Oh, look at the symptoms. Just look at an average cold or flu, or looks just like it. This is the thing they keep doing. The JN1 cases have exploded, we keep hearing, right? And I wonder why, as we use PCR tests with ridiculously high false positives based on things that we've already proven that they're barely understanding. Like this comes down to the idea that you can test as we've told you anything and find anything should you ultimately want to. And this is why you find the cycle threshold stupidly high on the side of testing for what they don't know. That's how this works. This was broken down by people who designed these things. We broke this down in the beginning of the COVID illusion and we're right back to it. It's not gaining as much attention because most people kind of have accepted this doesn't really make as much sense as they said it did, but it still works on some people. So that for, so you get this massive test push. They don't get as many as they used to, but you still get a surge in what they tell you is coming. And even if you believe it's actually there, realize that what they're, what they're pointing at, as her, that's what the point she's making here. Well, what does that look like to you? Sore throat, congestion, runny nose, cough, fatigue, headache. Wow. Sounds like a pandemic or it sounds like a cold, right? And guess what? If you believe these things are real, coronaviruses, that's what the coronavirus, the cold is a coronavirus. Either way, and then don't, oh, don't forget that, by the way, I actually forgot about that. The beginning of all this, the illusion itself, that was one of the things they kept pointing out. Well, what if these tests are giving you positives for colds because it's also coronavirus? Shut up, you go back to sleep. Well, obviously there is an overlap here. Bottom line is if you just align this with symptoms that mean whatever you want it to be, like broad, all-encompassing symptoms where you can make it whatever you want it to be. And that's exactly what we kept seeing and is exactly what still happens. And the flu disappears and things go up and it's just a game. And if, I mean, again, if you really don't think this is happening, you just need to start paying attention to what has already been proven, but I don't need to convince you guys. I know you've been paying attention, That there's an article here you can read for yourself. This is going to get pushed more, but I don't think people are buying it just yet. But guess what? Of course, Tom Tom Inglesby and all the big names that we know are directly tied in with the first illusion and really the weapons that were used on people are all speaking up right now as if they don't. We don't know exactly the things they connect to. Whitney Webb has been writing about Tom here for quite a while. He writes, COVID continues to cause major U.S. mortality. Oh, did you know that? I don't believe that's what's happening. 1,500 people dying on average weekly, he says, 10 times the numbers dying of the flu, well, it's just as easy as the PIC manipulation. If you really want to pretend that those numbers are accurate, I don't know how today we would even ever take them at face value from people that have been, for, verb- I mean, on the record caught for using stat data from the wrong months or pretending and conflating things that shouldn't have been together. They keep getting caught for these things. My point is that if you pretend 1,500 people are dying on average weekly, is that more or less than the previous years in regard to flu by itself overall? This, to me, is about PCR false positives overlap with people that are already dying from things that would have happened. And I think, and that's one part of it, but I think the predominant aspect are people that are dying because of the long-term problems of the injections that they don't want to admit are killing people. We're so baffled by all the problems. We don't talk about it, though. All the weird things that we can clearly see connect with the injection, we're baffled, right? But then we put that aside. We don't address why what we keep hearing, while the athlete's clapping, I don't know, we're baffled. Why is all the brain problems? I don't know, we're baffled. Why are all the pregnant women dying? I don't know, we're baffled. So no answers, but we're confused. So they put it down, and then weeks later, they go, oh my God, look at COVID again rising up. Well, hold on a second. You guys haven't even figured out all these other big baffling problems, but we all know it's happening. So all this really is to me is the combination of the same illusion that is making made to look worse with all these people that are getting sick because they they... <laughs> A, br- a brisk breeze comes along and blows them down. The common cold is now dropping these people, if you believe that's what's happening. Because this has destroyed their immune systems. As, by the way, about 14 different peer-reviewed studies have proven, but trust the science, right? Here's the article. Why are there 1,500 Americans still dying from COVID every week? I will bet you my life, if you check out who these people are and wh- and the ones that have they claim died from this, They'll be vaccinated to the tits. I can promise you that. And that is the obvious overlap that nobody will dive into that that wants to ignore that these things are killing people. Same point here. This is from today. Why are so many women dying during pregnancy and what can be done? Like, how do we not connect these things? It's like the world suddenly changed in every possible dynamic post COVID-19 injection. And all we can do is go, we're baffled. We're so baffled. Well, you're only baffled because you're avoiding legal accountability, I would argue. But the point is that we have this right here. Number of dying in the UK has reached the highest level in 20 years. 20 years. But alarming trend going unaddressed worldwide. Why would you think that? How in the world are we going to ever explain why a 20-year high in pregnant deaths is going unaddressed? Like, would you ever have expected? Like, you know, we're in history. Would you like at least they would use it, use it for political benefit or something. But nope, we just go la, la, la. We're baffled, like Scotland going, we're not even going to look into the neonatal deaths because, you know, fake news and stuff. It's just so stupidly obvious. And I think this is really scaring people to the point to where they almost want to check out again, because it really does feel helpless when you can see that they see it. They don't care. They all know we know and nothing changes. It's pretty wild. But I do think we can make things happen if we just continue to stay the course. We have changed enough just by making these things tough. Like, look at what's going on with Israel and the ICJ. That's my point. We can make an effect, but whether or not it ends up the way we want it to is the real question. Just by talking about this, I'm willing to bet you we would save one more life of a person who might not take that shot. That is enough for me at the moment. Now, on that same point, this is exactly what I think is happening. Why are so many pregnant women dying? Well, because you literally focused that injection that you didn't test on pregnant women on pregnant women. It's kind of easy to understand that. As I said, all the way back on October 1st, 2022, how can the COVID jab bivalent and original, which is what the data shows, be recommended as safe to pregnant and breastfeeding women if in your very documentation now, then, and now, it shows that they didn't even test to see if it was safe on pregnant women. I mean, this is one of those points that should have been the biggest story of the century. Many of them are like this and it never really went anywhere. It's still as easy as I've ever seen to prove. They never tested it to find out if it was safe, and yet they just kept saying it's safe, it's safe, it's safe for pregnant people, like the CDC says right there, or like the Red Cross, for example, continuing to, but literally continuing to say. Oops. Where is that one? Still to this very day, arguing that they do not label their blood products as vax versus unvax. Why? Because it doesn't enter the bloodstream. They're actually still saying that. The American Red Cross is a huge organization, huge. And they still stand by this statement, even though I have personally posted three peer-reviewed studies beneath that statement that literally prove they're wrong. 28 days in the blood. And every time I come to this, I retweet it. And every single time, they do nothing. That's willful, That, that that's malfeasance. They should go to prison for something like that. I doubt anybody's gonna care. Now, last part on this is how I, I I'm almost kind of blown away, even with how much is happening that this is that someone like Peter Dazak can stick his head up and continue to do this work. Now let's not forget this already happened. We wrote about this or discussed this on uh, May 10th of last year. One, one part was revisiting Fort Detrick and the vaping overlap, which I'm still fascinated by, but the eco health restarts coronavirus work. I mean, can you even imagine that at a time when this is like one of the peak conversations People are finally accepting the, you know, and yet they just started all right back up again. Well, here, this came out yesterday. Controversial research group linked to Wuhan discovers never before seen virus in bats in Thailand with almost as much potential as COVID to infect humans. Now, what do you think they're doing here? Do you think he's just casually walking around caves and going, oh, I see some bats. Let's test them. It looks like that's possible. And leaving it alone? Why would that make sense? Why would that ever make sense for people that have already, this is what they're going to do. They're going to do exactly what they already said they're going to do, which is continue this one to take those things, to take those viruses and to make them more dangerous, to make sure that they can affect humans so they can make a vaccine for it, they claim, and then just hope it doesn't get out or that it gets used. Why? Nobody is okay with that. Nobody. They still, they're just pretending this isn't gain of function research. It's literally what it is. Americans don't want this and they do it anyway. This is exactly what it looks like. Peter Dazak, head of the New York based nonprofit Eco Alliance, detailed his findings and bats at the event held by the World Health Organization on future pandemic research preparedness. I mean, he's like, who, who, is in, who is giving these people the authority to continue? When seemingly everybody in this country, left and right, is completely concerned about this, EcoHealth had its, its funding pulled and projects to find viruses in China canceled due to concerns about the ties to the lab leak. But it has not continued to operate in Thailand, which maybe you didn't know, and other parts of Asia with millions of dollars from U.S. government grants. While we are, in the, while this is being investigated, while people are literally being called before Congress, they just off, they just shoot it to Thailand, keep going. Just like every other thing we've talked about. Donald Trump stood up and said, Wuhan, bad, shut it down. But didn't care about the other seven labs doing the same research and still are in China. They knew about it. That was a game on the Republicans to make you think he was on your side. That's how they play the game. Dr. Peter Dazak told attendees at the WHO conference about his team's ongoing efforts to comb Southeast Asia for threatening animal viruses. <sighs> just so concerning that this is even happening combing for the viruses to then do what? Just tell you, here's one. Here's a thing we see. Okay, we're done. That's not what they're paying them for. They take those viruses and they bring them back to the lab. That's what they're doing. Some scientists consider these virus hunting experiments at risk of causing a future pandemic. Yeah, other scientists. Not some fringe basement dwelling conspiracy theorist, but literally other scientists who have signed documents going, stop this work. Stop them from doing gain-of-function research. Dr. Dazak, an expert in zoonosis, You know, when the the illusion that animal pathogens jump to people, which plenty of doctors continue to argue isn't even possible, is a firm defender of COVID having natural origin. Of course he is. Of course he is, because it completely hides the fact that he's involved with exactly what it seems he's involved with, gain of function that ended up killing people and has staunchly dismissed the lab leak theory. Let's not forget he's literally part of the group that signed the documents that have like surreptitiously tried to hide all of the evidence that later came out. Dazac's findings come after EcoHealth Alliance was uh, the uh, come wait his findings come after EcoHealth Alliance was the controversial recipient of about six hundred fifty thousand dollars to investigate these dangerous things in Asia, and in a comment that will likely add to those fears, Dazac said the virus surveillance project is being done in labs with lower lower biosecurity procedures than the wuhan institute of virology so not only are they right there still doing the research in the lab designed to make them more dangerous for your benefit apparently gotta say it dangerous things for your safety that's how these people work it's not really what's happening at a less secure location like like what he's doing right there is going you did this to yourselves now we're doing it even even less secure places are you happy about that like it's, like it's our fault that he keeps doing this surreptitiously around the world and nobody really wants it to happen. Uh, it's just kind of shocking that this is even publicly discussed, but you know, I'm willing to bet you nothing changes. Now, I will include these articles as well as the one we talked about. This is exactly what we're leading into again. This is from August 31st, 2022. This is Ralph Barrick. you're looking at, Chapel Hill, North Carolina University, Chapel, Chapel Hill, U.S.-funded research on coronavirus-induced myocarditis. I I just still continue to think that's so unreal to me that they can literally have worked on making a a, a coronavirus or manipulating a coronavirus to induce myocarditis. Then we come across this myocarditis explosion problem directly coming from a coronavirus and we don't really put it together. I know we all do, but it's just mind blowing that this isn't a bigger conversation. And the point was, and then they worked on aerosolizing that exact thing. And they did in the case of China. Ridiculous, right? Well, here's the document that we've shown many times, and there's a lot of work in here. From This is from the 90s forward, coronavirus-induced myocarditis, right there. Funding from the U.S. government. Now, this is from Ralph Barrick's curriculum, his own page. Now, the, the important part here as well, let's go right to the page, is the one of the things we talked about with uh, David's uh, Dr. David Martin, which was this, number 57, synthetic coronaviruses biohacking, biological warfare-enabling technologies. It's just as plain as day what they're working at. Now, here's that clip again, just in case you don't remember.
3: But I've been doing this now for 20 years, and and what one of the things I find frustrating is people pretend like there's this whodunit kind of gumshoes sleuthing required to go through and find all the stuff that's the evidence. Um, it, it doesn't actually take any creativity or effort. This thing was done in plain sight. It was engineered in plain sight. It was publicly announced. Um, By 2016, we even knew that it was the Wuhan variant that was the one that they had chosen. Um, Like, there's nothing left to the imagination. We knew that it was WIV-1 poised for human emergence, right? This is not a, I wonder if it could be a bat and a pangolin going into a bar in Wuhan one night and getting it on, and boom, out comes baby COVID. No, no. We knew in 2016 that the Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1 model was the one that they had selected for the weapon. And so, you know, you sit back and you, you say, well, how is it that in the face of such egregiously public information, we still are asking questions about motivation, about whether this was from nature or whatever it is? Listen, people, they said in their own words, this was to hype a drug to get the public to accept something that without terror, the public would have never agreed to. That's their words, not mine. Mm -hmm. And when you have a world in which, as you have on the screen right now, they actually stated outright biohacking synthetic coronaviruses biological warfare enabling technologies you know you don't have to interpret that that doesn't require some spin when you say biological warfare enabling technology you are not talking about something that is an innocent oops who could have known who could have seen it is actually a declaration of war against humanity and we have it in black and white
1: and he's very clear about the reality that this was the u.s government you could take that for what you will. I agree. Doctor David Martin interviewed the COVID illusion, and the criminal World Health Organization driving it. Now, before we get in further, I want to make a couple of points about censorship. I thought well, very interesting. Brett Weinstein shared this after he got a response on on Twitter from this Grok, whatever this is, like this machine learning AI thing they're doing with on Twitter. But he basically it says it's, it's in regard to what he got on. Um, where was it? Basically, he got. Where was it? Oh, I think I haven't missed one of the first tweets he had. But the point is basically, he's asking this about you know, why he's been shadow banned. And this Grok thing is saying, it looks like you've been shadow banned. And then it gives him a reasoning why. And it says, Greetings, human. And this, is so he, this is him initiating this process. I've checked the X verse, and it seems that you might be experiencing a bit of shadow ban. Which, by the way, pretty sure they said that wasn't happening anymore in this world of free speech. That's not really that. Or as we like to call it, it writes, a deep boosting right? Remember the whole freedom of of reach, not freedom of speech, or right? well, both, however they put that freedom of speech, not freedom of reach, even though they literally are one and the same. Like you can't just carve off the part of it. That's freedom of reach is, is I legally speaking part of freedom of speech, but of course they just play that game. But it says it's like being stuck in a cosmic wormhole where your posts are not reaching the far corners of the galaxy as they should. They're telling you right there, guys, they're actively de-boosting people that they don't agree with. But fear not. It says, "For I have consulted the wisdom of the ancient Twitter scrolls." Basically, it says, "Here's the reason you may have been interacting with a deboosted or shadow banned X handle." So it's like a it's like a like a spreading dynamic, right? That if you suddenly are, you know, marked Scarlet, you know, you get, you're you're bad all of a sudden. I guess that never goes away. Then if somebody just bumps up against you, well, then you are too. Seems fair, doesn't it? Well, here's what he here's what he says, which I completely agree with. It it says freedom of reach on X requires that you not associate with accounts that violate standards you aren't allowed to see. Sounds fair, right? Sounds transparent. Sounds like free speech. None of that. Since naughty accounts look like upstanding accounts, you probably ought to avoid independent thinkers altogether. He sees it. Social engineering. We are literally being corralled and and engineered. And this is is exactly what we keep talking about in the way that they are trying to re define what journalism is and people are falling right into it. Most of them because they want to because they're making money because Elon will just, they they just suck right up to him and he tweets, the reshares their tweets and suddenly they're making lots of money. Like, good, I'm not going to begrudge somebody for wanting to make money. The point is if you're trying to do that while pretending you're fighting for the truth, well, I don't respect you. But, you know, pe- to each their own. If people want to be out there trying to utilize and manipulate. Well, just own that that's what you are, right? The point is that this is not accurate or not. Let's put it this way. This is manipulative. This is about creating or engineering and training people how to act the same way that they say, you know, they don't just give you a, a knock or say like, you know, they'll delete your things that are wrong, that violate services. They force you to do it. They say, okay, well, you're going to be on timeout until you delete that tweet. I mean, that was all, that was creepy when that first happened, because that is about trying to train you, not just accept that you broke some rule. Pretty crazy to me, and he says, "Is that what you had in mind, Elon?" I think people need to start paying attention to how alarming this is. Now, there may be some further level of, of, you know, whatever you think aligns with some level of freedom of speech on this platform, where more people are able to say certain things. But it's clearly more nefarious and surreptitious than any other dyna- uh, Twitter time before this, in the way that I think it's trying to very clearly train us. Now, of course, Mister S- Mr. Hasbar Israel propagandist Eli David here. Reaches out, says, hey, Twitter, censor this account because we disagree with it. And it's some account that started, I guess it lo- they argue it's an account of Hamas, which I don't know how in the world that would even, first of all, you would know or not. But the bottom line is, there's a rep- there's an account for everything on Twitter. Here is the Azov Brigade, right? The openly neo-Nazi extremist group that literally have been called extremists by most everybody in the world until right before the... You know, until everybody forgot because Russia did what they did. It's just incredibly obvious that this group is a terrorist organization. It is an obvious group that is extremist. And even the U.S. government has legislation that says they're not allowed to arm them. Think about how ridiculous that is. On the other hand, Hamas and the PLO and all the rest of it, they've been getting funding from all around the world for a long time, including Israel. The crazy part to me is this: this is the one that they freak out about and delete. And yes, Twitter did it. They followed suit and said, you're gone. Because free speech, right? Now, you can argue that none of them should have a place on this platform because you think they're terrorists. But if you start to go down that slippery slope, well, they call the military of Iran terrorists. There's places around the world that call U.S. military terrorists, and maybe they're right. The point is, if you start creating these dynamics, it just becomes a level of controlled speech. Well, that's exactly what we're dealing with. And people right now that are on the path of Eli David are getting whatever they want on this platform. Well, why did you expect otherwise? Now, one other thing I think is hilarious. (laughs) This is the the rule, not the exception. And it's so embarrassing that we're at a point where they still think we don't see this. Every single thing like this in history that I can tell, whether it's the funding in Syria or Afghanistan, every time it ends up like this, this is the New York Times, U.S. military aid to Ukraine was poorly tracked. Pentagon report concludes, oops. We accidentally didn't track anything. Our bad. I mean, did, does anybody buy that? Like, this is just a complete lack of accountability. Just like the 30, however much now, I don't even even tracking anymore, which is probably the point of how much money they've never accounted for in the Pentagon. And every time they're supposed to be an audit, they just go, oh, we didn't, we failed. We don't even know. So just move along. Yeah. So, so everyone just forgets about it because there's nobody's ever to them accountable for never being able to account for the trillions of dollars that nobody knows. I mean, we know where it's going, guys. It's going in their pockets. It's going into war funding. It's going into black markets. It's not going into anything that supports you, the freedom you think they're fighting for, any of it. This is money that they've been sending without any accountability or any kind of checks and balances into the hands of open neo-Nazis. And now they just go, oh, we didn't even track it. Our bad. We'll do better next time. Give us more money. We'll track it better. And they'll do the same thing again. Every, I mean, you just take a minute and look back through previous wars. You'll find this statement every single time after the fact. And then they just let it go. Why? Because all the people in Congress that allowed this in the first place are making money. Now, Dan Cohen points out something, which is like, again, this is the cycle. Right now, Israel is floundering in pretty much every single way, but in regard to the economy and financial, because they have, the Israeli government, specifically the Zionist leadership right now, the coalition are in, are all in. It's very obvious. they are all in. I think it's largely because they know that they've already lost. Once this is over, they might even go to jail. some of them Some like Netanyahu, for example. So what do they do? They extend it out indefinitely. But what they're doing is at the expense of literally everything, including the State of Israel. So as Dan Cohen writes, top Israeli economists are speaking up and saying the war is unlike anything we've seen in the last 20 years in terms of the effect on the economy. Quote, the war needs to be ended in a good way in order to restore the confidence of investors. And we're talking about global investors. Month by month, we are badly surprised, it says. We did not think that we would reach costs of about NIS $200 billion, or rather $54 billion in the US currency, and we are still in the middle of an unfolding event quote, we look much worse in the eyes of foreign investors than in our eyes, right? So what the the point is, is the point that Dan Cullen makes is that Israel's relying, as we've expected, on the United States, rather on your tax dollars to bail out its massive deficit accrued from waging a genocidal war on Gaza to hide the fact that they're, I mean, whatever you think they're trying to do. They are using this to achieve a political end in hopes that they avoid accountability. It says, quote, we need to send a big thank you to President Biden for this assistance. This is from the Washington Post. So get ready to bail out yet another ally, or rather, however you want to look at that. Who needs enemies with allies like Israel, right? I mean, it's very obvious that this is at the expense of everybody. But guess what? I'm willing to bet you they will send it. And then a year later, we'll go, well, we didn't track it very well. Who knows where it went? Yeah, shocking. Well, let's get into the part of the hostages that drive the the hostage situation and the people in Gaza have played a central role in their illusion in regard to the Israeli government pretending they're fighting for them when they're not. Quite frankly, I think it's provable that they're trying to kill them. I've not minced words about that. The evidence is overwhelming. It's just such a shocking statement that many people just don't want to hear it. But it's they've said this themselves coming home. And I'm going to get into this article next that I think is powerful. Dan Cohen writes Netanyahu is waging an all out psychological and media war against the families of Israeli captives in Gaza. While the overwhelming majority of the families do want an exchange, his fanatical allies explicitly say that they want to sacrifice their own children in order to carry out genocide in Gaza and colonize it. He says, I obtained a secret recording of Netanyahu deceiving the pro exchange families to demoralize them and stop their efforts to bring their loved ones home. Now, this, he's, this is the article i will show you in a second. Here is one of those people he's referencing. This is uh, Tz- Tzvika Moore, a religious Zionist settler, saying that he will sacrifice his son, who is apparently held in Gaza, for the sake of committing genocide against Palestinians. He is part of the coterie of fanatics de- collaborating with Netanyahu to ensure there is no ceasefire or captive exchange. Like, this is the craziest part right now is that I keep trying to show people in the United States, of all things, most Israelis are aware of this, that they are not seeking hostage exchanges. They're blaming it. They're trying to pretend it's Hamas's fault when every time we can prove it, they've, they've offered a full exchange and Israel flatly denies that. They say no. And then go on to pretend that Hamas won't let it come home and that we have to keep fighting because Hamas has our hostages. It's, it's, it's egregiously disgusting. And this is in in Hebrew. You can read it for yourself. It's just exactly what it says. that They'd rather let their own people die in order to continue what they're doing there. Now, here is the actual uh, clip he has. There's a bunch of them in the article. Here's the article itself. Netanyahu and Khanist allies wage psy war to sacrifice captives for conquest of Gaza. There's a whole bunch of these you can watch. It's a great article. Make sure you read it. Here is just the one I wanted to share in particular. He says, I obtained a secret recording of Netanyahu lying to the families of Israeli captives in Gaza and telling them that he'd do everything possible to secure their release, which we can prove isn't true. Now, this next article, I think you'll find very, very elucidating. In reality, it says he's abandoning them so he can commit genocide. Now, again, it's it's about five minutes long. It's it's in Hebrew, but you can listen to it. And everything he's saying here is, is a fallacy. It's a lie. He's not doing 90% of what he claims he's doing and you can prove it. Now, first of all, here is Al-Ma'edin English pointing out, if any, especially in the United States, if you just care to pay attention, Israelis right now will tell you all of this. It says, earlier today, Israeli settlers blocked the entrance of the Knesset building, demanding that a deal long delayed by the Israeli government be struck for the release of captives in exchange for Palestinian prisoners and the dismissal of Netanyahu's government. So think about that. First of all, that there has been that that deal on the table. From the very first week, as even uh, AP reported, for a full exchange they denied it. Now they eventually got that minor exchange for a few—I th- I forget how many—ultimately ended up going back and forth for a, for a pause. But don't you remember what's 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 uh, tripped it all up? They tried to return the bodies of the Bebas family. Remember when I pointed this out? And Israel was so terrified to let that become public knowledge that they rushed right back into it and broke the ceasefire, blaming it on Hamas. And I'll prove it to you right now again. It's, 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 ingra- it's unbelievable how obvious it all is. So these are settlers, illegal Israeli settlers, who I can guarantee do not care that much about most of them, I would argue, of the people in Palestine, but ultimately care more about their own family members. And it can, I've now come to realize Israel is absolutely doing everything it can to not care about those people. In fact, killing them with their own bombings and shooting them in cold blood. And they want the dismissal of the Netanyahu government. So who, who is supporting what they're doing right now? Seems nobody. Now it says on Saturday, Israeli Channel 12 reported that the families of Israel captives are considering the possibility of shutting down the economy in an attempt to pressure the decision makers to do what they keep pretending they're doing, which is get their family members home. So just take a step back and realize that even the majority in Israel at this point, and it's not about whether they would want to see the Gaza the war on Gaza continue or not. But first and foremost, they want nothing else to happen until their families are taken home. And right now, they know the deal was on the table, that Israel has now refused. So it's as simple as accepting the deal for a full exchange that Israel does not want. So who's really keeping this going? Now, in no way is that meant to say pro-Hamas or anything like that. They did kidnap people, and that is a crime, and I hope they're held accountable for it. But you just have to acknowledge what's really going on. And then, of course, also don't forget that Israel literally funded Hamas to this point. Can't forget these things. Now, this video is just simply showing them protesting. Congress. And, of course, you get the IDF and the police coming out and beating them up. And, you know, which is typically what happens. Now, here's one of the posts. This one is from the second of this of this month. Freed Israeli hostages, so the people that have already come home, if they haven't, you know, the ones that didn't get killed by IDF bombings, plead with Netanyahu and Joe Biden. Stop the war and bring them home. See how easy to prove this is? It's all over the place. Here is just one of the ones I've shown you before. Great report from anti-war showing you that Israel has rejected a Hamas offer. Now, of course, all the sycophants and liars on Twitter are the ones pretending that they turned down, Hamas turned down their offer. That's not what happened. And, well, there's, there's a fraction of truth to it because what they offered was a temporary stop with a few exchange, which is not what they want. They countered with a full exchange. We want all the people exchanged. And if Israel's pretending that's what they want, then they can't deny that, but they did. And then they come back out and say, Hamas refused. That's <laughs> not what they did. They just don't want a, and this is what they're stating. Right? I'm not going to speak to their intention, but that they don't want another temporary pause just then go right back to killing everybody. And all they've done, and don't forget, is scoop them all right back up, right? They released a whole bunch of kids. And even before they, re- they were set to release them, they had already rounded up just as many kids in the days leading up to the exchange. So it was a moot point. They just took a bunch of more Palestinian prisoners. And then right after that, many of them got rearrested anyway in the West Bank and so on. So they know this is a fallacy. I would argue. But the only real point to take away from this is that they don't care about the full exchange. The people of Israel are less important to them than their their agenda here. And this is where it becomes the obvious complicity of United States government, where people like Blinken and plenty have keep saying this ridiculous argument. Hamas could have ended this on October 8th by not hiding behind civilians, by putting down its weapons, by surrendering and by releasing the hostages. Oh, could they? Well, how about the fact that that's not true? How about the fact that Israel's Netanyahu himself has already said on the record that even if the hostages were returned, the war would not end. Oops. Right, see this? They just don't think anybody has the wherewithal to keep all of this in front of them, right? They keep saying the things they then deny in front of the world. This is from Jerusalem, Associated Press. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel will continue its war even if they basically have a hostage exchange. It just, this is, it's been stated publicly. This is spectator index. You know, it's, it's got 2.7 million followers. And on top of that, where was it? It's saying, yeah, that they, they, the, oh, then the hiding behind civilians and so on. The absurd argument, first of all, that they have been using human shields. And I only say it like that because there is no evidence to that effect. Not that they wouldn't do it. Continues to be used so that they can continue bombing wherever they want, including their own hostages. Don't you think that they would have to be, and and that is the case, the ICJ said that people have spoken up in the international community and said it is on them to prove that, not just state that and continue murdering people. But this is Anthony Blinken, you understand. The very person who has said, maybe, you know, just do a little bit more. Stop killing all the, like first saying they're doing everything they can, then suddenly saying do more, because that totally makes sense, right? Well, it's also realized that Israel provably does, in fact, already use human shields themselves. 2013, Palestinian children tortured, used as shields by Israel per the United Nations. Reuters, Israeli soldiers who used Palestinian boy, a nine-year-old, as human shields avoid jail. Defense for children. seen it before. It goes on. Cites the United Nations, cites BetSellum, Amnesty International. It's called the neighbor procedure and they still do it to this very day. The evidence is undeniably obvious. And I'll grab this one for you. And you can just see that obvious example literally belted right to the front of their their IDF truck as they engage with people shooting at them. Because that's totally not being a human shield, right? So here's Anthony Blinken coming in and simply going, "They should have just stopped." Well, the other point they keep making to this: Are you actually calling on like the moral aspect of what Hamas is? Like, like we're supposed to go? It's their fault. Hamas didn't do the right thing. That's why this is okay. Like, if that's really the best they have, I don't. I completely get why everybody's seeing through this. Because who, who who are they actually speaking to here? Because the the implication by saying this is that somehow we didn't do it. That, that the UN or, or other everyone watching didn't somehow pressure Hamas to do. Hamas doesn't give a damn what you think, and they're not going to stop down knowing that you're going to kill them anyway, as they've already stated that even if you return the hostages, it won't stop the war. So all this is is a a complete white broad stroke whitewashing of any accountability because Hamas, which is what they keep doing. None of the suffering they say none of the suffering would have happened if Hamas didn't do. Well, that's not, that's not even a legal argument. You have been bombing and killing and executing and destroying for three months since this. And you and everything somehow is on their fault forever. I mean, wh- where's the line? If this went on for 17 years, would it still always be their fault? You have to think of it like that because eventually there comes a point where you, I mean, right from the beginning, you're accountable for your actions. This isn't kindergarten. You obviously are responsible for firing those bombs regardless of whether you think it's justified. And this is where it gets into the ICJ conversation where they're simply just going, but they did it and it's bad. So genocide doesn't count. (laughs) I mean, it's like, that's basically their argument. Now here's what John Cusack had to say in response, which I really, I really agree with. And by the way, if anybody has his ear or reached out, I actually commented beneath this going, I'd love to, I'd love to get him on for an interview. Doesn't look like he responded. It says, if when faced with Israel must stop this genocide, which by the way, regardless of whether you think October 7th was everything they said it was, or even if gen- genocide somehow is justified, it doesn't remove the fact that it's genocide, right? That's what they're sussing out right now. No matter what you keep pointing at from before, what you're doing, killing people, if it allow- if it meets the criteria of genocide, will still be genocide, right? This is That's the argument of saying what they did was so bad, therefore this is somehow okay. But he goes, when faced with Israel must stop, if you respond with, if Hamas released the hostages, it would stop. Please note, you've just admitted genocide. That's exactly the point. Or, and B, Israel has over 10,000 Palestinian hostages in Israeli prisons, many of them children. Why aren't you calling for them to be released? Right. These are very obvious points. Anyone with a brain and a soul can obviously see that this is the reality. It doesn't have to justify October 7th. It simply shows you that if you're supposed to be the good guy You don't just go, okay, fine, then here's one back for you, right? You did this to us, okay, we're going to murder your families. Well, that's exactly what we already have come to know these groups are. As even Donald Trump once famously said, we're going to go after their families. Well, then you're just as bad. Or C, it says, there's no evidence Israel would stop the atrocities no matter how Hamas behaves. Everybody can see this. And again, they said on the record that even if they returned everyone, they wouldn't stop the war. And this is where it gets into the important part about That they did, and this we'll get into this article from the from the very beginning. They were openly saying that this is hostages are secondary. We're not going. This is after we kill Hamas. Remember, they were openly saying that. Now they're trying to act like that never happened. That's just straight up desperation. When you know we can look at what you said, and some of us have been keeping track to just lie. But that's all they have. That's all they have. Now, Business Insider covered this on December sixth. Freed Israeli hostages held by Hamas were terrified of IDF airstrikes. It's amazing how this stuff is so public, right? It's obvious that they were afraid they were going to be killed. Why? Because many of them have been killed. This is a good article titled, Hostages Weren't Our Top Priority. These are IDF insiders speaking on the record. They're citing both the 972 uh, article, which covered the Habsorah. Artificial Intelligence Assassination Program, as well as of many different topics around. And that's this article right here. Mass Assassination Factory. We'll come to that. Just I'll include that. You can read it later. We've done a lot of deep dive on it before. Now it says, contrary to initial claims, the Israeli army carried out relentless strikes with little intelligence of Israeli hostages, their whereabouts, or precaution for their safety. These are easily proven facts. And I think this is what the average person needs to come to terms with. They did this knowing they would die. The IDF spokesperson's announcement on Friday, and okay, this is from December of 2023. The announcement on Friday that Israeli soldiers in the Gaza Strip had, quote, mistakenly shot dead three Israeli hostages. And that's a really important part of this because, the, first of all, these are people that were, in, that were waving SOS flags, like their shirt they took off, and were going, we're Israeli, don't shoot us, and they shot them, two of them. One of them ran away. 15 minutes later, they got him to come back out. After, and he's going, don't shoot me. I am not. I'm an Israeli. I'm a hostage. And they shot him. Like, really think about that for a second and understand exactly what that looks like. It's what it is. They murdered these people. Now, there is an obvious directive here, and it's called the Hannibal Directive. These people are at are, are liabilities for them now. Now, the interesting thing is whether the IDF members were aware of that or not. But it says, Halevi's statement, sentiment, excuse me, in regard to uh, basically that it was an accident was the ultimate point. It says that sentiment, though, however, does not always appear to have been put in practice, like that they would do their best not to kill the civilians. A new investigation by 972 Magazine and local call suggests that since the beginning of the Gaza War and this current version of it, The Israeli leadership has relegated the goal of ensuring the hostages safety in favor of larger military and political goals in the occupied territory. A fact that has not only stoked anger and discontent from hostages families, Israelis in Israel, but seems to have been pursued despite concerns from soldiers, especially during the first few weeks of the operation. This is my point about the IDF members that speak up and they're lied to. Intelligence sources who spoke to 972 and local call on the condition of anonymity before the shooting of the three abductees on Friday affirmed that during the initial stages of the war, the Israeli army's intense bombardment of Gaza was conducted without having a clear picture of where many of of the more than 240 hostages were being held. The relentless airstrikes also continued despite concerns that the bombings might endanger the lives of the hostages according to the sources speaking on the record. Echoing this sense of an indiscriminate and haphazard policy, testimonies from newly freed hostages, people that have come home now, who were released as part of an exchange for the prisoners, the first and only we saw during the temporary ceasefire, as well as from some of the hostage's families, indicate that one of the main fears of those held captive in Gaza was the threat of being hit by Israeli airstrikes. And I've told you this already. There's just many more cite- citations in this. It says many of the hostages, according to these testimonies, were held above ground rather than the tunnels and were therefore particularly vulnerable to such attack. And even when they found this out, they didn't stop the bombing they were doing. Referring to the first weeks of Israel's onslaught, one intelligence source told 972 and local call that quote, "The IDF shelled extensively, destroying half of Gaza while having little intelligence." Now, what do you think the likelihood is if you story? 50% of your location targeting with no intelligence of where these people might be? What do you think the likelihood is that you're going to kill some of them? They knew that. The source emphasized that the army, quote, would not have killed hostages deliberately if they knew that they were in a certain building. And I think what they're speaking to is the individual IDF members acting. But that it nonetheless carried out thousands of strikes, knowing full well that hostages might be also harmed especially at a time when, quote, there were many hostages held in private apartments. Now, that's a sentiment from one individual. And they may want to believe that it wasn't intentional, either it, or rather just simply that if we don't, know it's, we don't know they're there, we can't pretend we did it on purpose. But you're still ultimately deciding to do something that would clearly lead to some of their deaths. But I don't believe it's that simple. I think it's obvious that these people were a target. It says, this account is consistent with what some of the released hostages have said Upon their return, Noam Dan, who we've already spoken about three of whose relatives were kidnapped on October 7th and two of whom have since been freed told 972 that the, as soon as the first captives were released, the families discovered that much of what Israeli politicians had told them about the hostages was untrue. And this is important because that means they're lying to their own people, including the IDF members. So they don't know that they're killing their own people. At first, it says, government officials made it clear to us, she's speaking on the record, that the hostages were in tunnels, and therefore the army's bombings wouldn't hit them. When the hostages were released, we we realized that many of them were above ground in people's homes. The government kept telling us that they knew where they were, that they wouldn't do anything that would endanger them, that everything was under control. But once the abductees got out of there, these things turned out to be false. Everything we thought was true collapsed. These are people on the record speaking to the fact that they were lied to directly by their government, so essentially they carried out their own assassinations. Dan added that from conversations she had with freed hostages, she learned that their primary fear, as I've already told you, as many have, was being killed or wounded by Israeli army attacks, a feeling echoed by other captives released in recent weeks. These were spoken on the record. She also said that there was evidence of hostages being hit by Israel's bombing in Gaza. So we can't dispute these things. These are now Israeli freed hostages who are in Israel speaking to anyone that will listen, saying, I watched them kill them. And in the sense of bombings that fell that killed them. But on top of that, they saw people get shot by the IDF before they were taken. All this has been proven. It's very hard, it says on, on the record, quote, it's very hard for me that there is no goal and no political vision of what will happen the day after the war. There's no strategic plan. There are endless, bombastic, motivational sentiments, statements about toppling Hamas and how we'll drink a mojito on the beach in Gaza next year, which, by the way, continue to show you that, yes, they are going to occupy the area, continue to, but they're going to completely take it over and make new settlements, which is the plan. why, Why would they be telling their own people that we'll be able to go into Gaza? Obviously, they're not going to let them come back. Statements without logic, backed by a lot of irrational commanders who are still acting still acting to carry out revenge. Quote, when the military objective is so vague, I feel that I am here for only one reason, to try to press for a political agreement and a prisoner exchange. This is one of the sources on the record saying this is more important than anything. And clearly, the Israeli government does not care about that. Now, says the expose also revealed that the army has loosened the constraints on expected civilian casualties from these airstrikes. And this has to do specifically with this discussion. And we've already been over this in depth. We went through this whole article. The point being that because of this, they acted like now they're somehow relieved of accountability because some AI program is mass, uh, you know, picking targets. Well, all it really did was complete. And that's when we saw this massive spike in civilian casualties. It says, including knowingly killing hundreds of Palestinian civilians while trying to assassinate one senior figure. These policies... Remember remember how aghast even uh, Wolf Blitzer was when they basically just admitted that, yeah, well, we thought there was a guy there, so we killed 400 people. Never has that been openly stated or accepted. It's still not. These policies, which have contributed to perhaps the deadliest and most destructive military campaign against Palestinians since the Nakba, also put the lives of the Israeli hostages in danger. According two of their own intelligence sources speaking on the record. They have evidence from the past month that hostages may have been hit by Israeli strikes. And we don't need any may have been hit. They have already testified to their own, that they saw it themselves. More than one. I mean, we've seen people coming back from both directions or rather in in regard to when they're being taken and coming back afterward and admitting this. It says one source explained that shortly after the Hamas-led massacres of October 7th, which killed over now, I guess, 1,100 people. I mean, this number just continues to drop and continues to change. But the point is there was a sense that, quote, the lives of the hostages were a price that people in the army especially senior commanders, were willing to pay. I mean, this just couldn't be any more clear. Not only are they making it clear that they did not care about them, but that they were willing to sacrifice them for their revenge while pretending they were fighting for them to anybody that would listen in the public sphere. It says, my feeling is that the army and political top brass knew they were going to be forced to resign at the end of the war and they wanted to present military achievements among other things, as a way to protect themselves. We were told that even if Hamas executed one hostage a day, we would not stop bombing. She says, I hoped that the Israeli public would protest. She says, I knew if there was no public pressure for a prisoner deal, the abductees would die. Think about that. After a few weeks, Israeli public and U.S. pressure to advance a deal caused the military's attitude toward the abductees to change. At the start, it was constantly stated that the goal, and I showed you this in the beginning, was to win the war and eradicate Hamas, not to bring back the hostages, and that there's nothing we can do about it, which suddenly, I mean, really in the beginning, there was so much emotional fervor around, you know, this is what I kept saying in the beginning. If they had not immediately just went full-blow genocide, the whole world would would still unequivocally be behind Israel. But instead, they went right into genocide And now it doesn't matter how many times you point back at October 7th, even if you believe exactly what they say, we can all stand and look at what happened and say, shouldn't happen. They should be accountable for the crimes. If you believe that. The point is that doesn't stop the genocide you're committing. There's no amount of pointing at October 7th that's going to stop the accountability for committing genocide. But the point is that they just went full blow and said, we're going after them. And now looking back, it's obvious that they had no intention about the hostages. But now they're trying to re- kind of retroactively change that dynamic, but everyone sees through it now. Now it says, quote, "In the first two or three weeks, we didn't have enough intelligence about the hostages, and they were not the top priority. It's on the record from this from the source in the IDF. We didn't start the day with an update on the status of hostages. It wasn't our top priority. And the truth is, they aren't today either. Unfortunately, I don't think the army can free the hostages through rescue operations. I don't think we'll be able to release hostages without a deal. They know this, guys, and they're refusing to engage. They're, pro- I, they're probably going to be forced to. My point is that it's obvious that they don't want to. And that matters. One of the sources referred to a quote by uh, Tazaki Hanegbi, uh, the head of Israel's National Security Council, a week after the Hamas attack, that there would be no negotiations with Hamas for the release of the hostages because, quote, We have no way of negotiating with an enemy that we swore to wipe off the face of the earth. Oops, right? It's fun. Interesting how that worked. Remember, they were saying we don't negotiate with terrorists, and then they did. The source said that this statement reflected well the atmosphere that prevailed in the first weeks of the war until public pressure mounted to advance a deal. Notably, during those early stages of the operation, the Israeli government reportedly rejected proposals to release some hostages in exchange for a temporary ceasefire. They pretended it didn't exist. And that deal was eventually agreed to late in November. And then it was proven that it was the exact same deal that was always on the table that they said no to over and over and over. And again, one of the alternatives was at the early stages, a full exchange. Now that's all they want. That's the only thing that's being offered. And I think that's a smart tactical move at this point, because that's also what Israelis want. Quote, it says, we were, and and again, you can't ignore the fact that they've stated on the record that even if they return them, that they would keep going after Hamas. So there's no incentive for Hamas to do anything other than what they're doing. I think they want it that way. It says, quote, we recently reduced the number of bombings in Gaza because there is not much left to bomb. That's a source from the IDF. So ask yourself how in the world they can bomb so much in Gaza to where there's basically nothing left to bomb and then pretend like they weren't won Pinpoint targeting Hamas and not going after all of Palestine, and care about the people that they're supposed to rescue. Under the title "I Was Afraid of IDF Shelling More Than Hamas," it goes over all the many different sources who are telling you that they were most afraid of the Israeli action. The sources' testimonies are consistent with statements made by released Israeli hostages and their families during a heated meeting with the Israeli War Cabinet. I've shown you some of these when this was headed by Netanyahu. It says, "Quote: I see your bombing there." And you have no idea where the hostages are. One of the freed hostages said this, according to leaked recordings from the meeting. He says, quote, I was at a house when there were bombings all around. I know a family that miraculously survived after a shell hit the house that they were being held in. We sat in the tunnels and we were terrified that it wouldn't be Hamas, but Israel that would kill us. The reason, the, the reason most people don't know this is because they've gone out of their way to keep this under wraps. They don't want average people hearing what these, this is, these are their people who even were kidnapped, who are still calling out Israel for being the disregard for their safety. It says, quote, you put politics above the return of the hostages. That's coming from a freed hostage on the record. It says, quote, my husband, another hostage, beat himself because he was so hard for him. It said because it was so hard for him. And you're just thinking about toppling Hamas. I saw a hostage die next to me. This is my point, guys. You can't pretend like they haven't know- They These are Israelis who are home saying, I watch you kill people next to me. According to the recordings, another hostage who was released with her children, but whose husband remains captive. So think about that. Somebody's still, somebody's still there. Said, quote, the feeling we had there was that no one was doing anything for us. The fact is that I was in a hiding place that was shelled and we had to be smuggled out wounded. You claim there's intelligence, but the fact is we are being bombed. An elderly woman from Kibbutz Kafarazah, one of the communities targeted by Hamas on October 7th, described in the meeting how on one occasion in captivity in Gaza, a closet fell on them from the blast of a bomb. It says, quote, I thought I was going to be blown up any second. I told myself I couldn't understand how Israel wanted to blow us up. Very telling. Another abductee released and realized these, are, these aren't these are anonymous sources. These are all people that are currently on the record who have come home speaking Who anybody that will listen. Another abductee released in the hostage prisoner exchange, an elderly woman, from Boots where at least 89 of the small community's residents were killed, and many of them by the IDF, as we've now proven, and even Harats has proven, and 24 were kidnapped to Gaza during Hamas' October 7th attacks, told the war cabinet that during her time in captivity, quote, I was afraid of IDF shelling more than I was afraid of Hamas. Many of them reporting permanent hearing damage because of it. Mirav uh, Raviv, Four of whose family members, including nine year old Oad Munder, were kidnapped to Gaza, and three of whom were released, echoed this sentiment to 972. Quote The thing that scared them the most is the shelling by the IDF. There's no bomb shelter, no siren, no alarm, just happened suddenly, and they are scared to death. They heard bombings all the time. They were also scared that they would be in some, they would, in, that there would be some heroic rescue operation and they would be killed. I mean, think about how crazy that is. How are you an Israeli being kidnapped by the terrorist organization and you're terrified that they're going to try to rescue you because they might be so belligerent about it that they would kill you? Not the bombings, but the IDF mission. I mean, you have to really un- read between the lines. You don't even need to do that. It's implicit in what they're saying. They're, they know the way these people operate. That's crazy. It says, quote, when they talk about the bombing, they literally shake in front of me, he wrote. This is a filmmaker, uh, Haggai Levy, writing about these people coming home. The terms they use are hell, being on the verge of death. The fear of being murdered by their captors, he writes, was negligible compared to the fear of dying in a bombing. The very thought that one who is supposed to save you is the one who might kill you intensifies the trauma. Levy interviewed the freed hostages for video testimonies commissioned by the Hostages and Missing Families Forum. But guess what? The body coordinated the family's national and international campaigns to free their loved ones. Uh, in these videos, they recorded for them. The forum edited most of the clips in which the Adeptis talked about Israeli bombings and shelved them. But it's now become public. But how do you not see what that shows you? They're, they are cultivating and editing the reality of this from day one. That's not what honest people do. Quote, the clear and immediate danger to the lives of the abductees is currently posed by IDF actions. And to me, again, this speaks to the fact that it seems like they tried to kill them or at the very least they knew they might and didn't care. The hostages and missing families forum must depart from its apparent uh, appeasement of the mainstream and its conformity, shout and scream and demand an immediate ceasefire and an immediate resumption of negotiations. These are what the Israeli people want. During the tense war cabinet meeting, some of the released hostages and the families of those still captive demanded that Netanyahu advance the deal with Hamas and place the the issue at the top of his priorities. Netanyahu, of course, told the families that there is currently no political possibility of advancing an all-for-all deal. Well, there you go. The release of all hostages in exchange for the release of all Palestinian prisoners. They just don't want to do that. Of course they could. But they're gonna they just act like that somehow benefits Hamas. Well, if your whole point is that you can just continue going after them whenever you want, why wouldn't you do that and then go back after Hamas? Because the reality is there's something else being covered up with all this. And I think it's obvious so far. And again, Dan Cohen already showed you he's deceiving these people by pretending he's trying to do things that aren't possible or that he can't do things that are. Netanyahu also claimed that it was only thanks to Israeli military pressure and ground maneuvers that it was possible to release hostages over the past weeks, which has been proven to be false. And that, quote, continued maneuvering is the key to returning the rest of the abductees. it's patently false. You can see that's not true. But many of the hostage's families, as well as the intelligence sources they spoke to, doubt that statement. It says, quote, all the time, it's this slogan of force, and force will be answered with force. We see that it doesn't help, that it only results in more soldiers being killed. They wanted military pressure. They used pressure, and it didn't help. And I'm almost certain, although they deny us in the, in the deny this in the government, that they could have negotiated the release of the women and children even before a ground incursion. And yeah, they could because it was on the table. "Quote: I want this issue to be their top priority." They go on. This is Revive, one of the people that was uh, returned, I believe. Where was his name? just want to double check. I thought, uh, huh. Strange. Be right up here. Here we go. Yeah. That's what I thought. So it's, it's Raviv, one of the people that has family still there. Who's been returned, but it continues. Yeah. He wants this to be the top priority. And it says, quote, at first it just wasn't. We had to meet with the Israeli government ministers in order to convince them. Think about trying to convince your government to even care about rescuing your family when they keep screaming that that's all they care about. I met, I mean, they're using them, guys. They're using the, the, the fear and the threat of what's happening and the, the loving concern of average people to manipulate you into thinking you're on the side of Israel doing that when really they could care less about them. It's pretty disgusting. Since I met with the Spanish minister, the Canadian prime minister and senators and members of U.S. Congress long before the Israeli ministers met with us here in Israel. They were literally getting meetings with foreign government before their own minister would hear them. It says, one saying, what are you waiting for? One intelligence source summed it up bluntly. Military rescue operations endanger the hostages. Exactly what we keep saying. The killing of three hostages by Israel, the, the three people they killed, their own people, exemplified this. Previous army statements further said that 28 Israelis were either murdered in Hamas captivity or killed on October 7th, and their bodies are still being held by the group. This is what they're claiming. Hamas, for its part, has claimed in various videos and statements published on its channels that seven abductees have been killed in attacks by the Israeli army, which, don't forget, have been backed up by their own people coming home. I mean, they're they're getting pinned in by their lies in every direction right now. Israel vehemently denies these allegations and have derided them as psychological warfare. They're literally denying the statements of their own people. One of the people they claim they're trying to save, they save them. And then they say, well, you're lying. They'll not forget. They put people from the Nova festival in, in involuntary. This was a, let me get the article. And these people are now suing the government, but they, involuntarily committed some of these people due to mental breakdowns, they claim. Do you think that's what happened? Involuntarily committed them? Or are we now beginning to realize that a lot of them got, have things to say that don't really line up with what they want you to hear? How can it be psychological warfare when you've got the people who have come home telling you that that's the reality? According to Hamas, three members of the Bebas family, we already told you this, were killed in the Israeli attacks. On November 30th, they released a video showing his the father, saying that this is what he was told happened and that they should return and the, the government. They're basically asking to return their bodies. Now, this is what already happened. I told you this when it was going on, they tried to return the bodies, which is what the father seems to want. And they just f- freaked out and shut the whole thing down and went right back to bombing. And right now, by the way, people that are, you know, the same villainous people we keep pointing to. I'll come to it in a second. They keep using their, the, the, the child and the family to act like we need to save them acting like they're still be, they're, they're using them right now in front of the conversation of the ICJ they're still being held how dare they are the ones that killed them now look Hamas took them which is a crime it's, it's horrifying to realize that they, they they kidnapped these children they should be accountable for that but you know what it's possible to think that and also acknowledge that the Israeli government that couldn't care about them who literally murdered them with their own bombs are also accountable. Hamas is also alleged that a 19-year-old soldier, Tamir Nimradi, was killed by Israeli bombings. The other three members of the Bibas family and Tamir Nimrodi are still listed as missing, even though people who have come home have already reported that they were killed. That is a political manipulation using their memory. It's disgusting. On November 13th, Hamas released a video claiming that a 19-year-old soldier, Noah Marciano, had been killed in a bombing attack by the Israeli army. Excuse me. Six days later, the IDF spokesman issued an unusual statement asserting that Marciano had been abducted to a house, interestingly, near Al-Shifa Hospital. And that, quote, during IDF attacks in the area, the Hamas terrorists who were holding her was killed and then Noah was wounded. This is the only case in which the IDF spokesperson publicly stated an Israeli airstrike hit a hostage. But realize we're talking about these same locations, like the the Al-Shifa hospital discussion, where they just found one of these hostages. It's obvious that these are just things, people are popping up at, as the dust settles, and it's easy for them to say, well, Hamas did it. They prefer that. I think it's very obvious. And this is the Hannibal directive conversation. The status of the remaining Israeli hostages is unknown, with Hamas refusing to allow the Red Cross to visit them, or so that's what we're being told. Israel has similarly, though, and this is important, Refused to allow the Red Cross to visit the thousands of Palestinians it has arrested since October seventh. So if you care that Red Cross isn't able to go as they keep screaming about to give them medical treatment, which that matters. But then why don't you care that Israel won't let that happen in reverse? Right? It's just a wild double standard, and it shows you that you only care about one side of this argument. And we're not talking about Hamas versus Israel. We're talking about Palestinians and Israelis. All of them innocent in this conversation. Palestinian prisoners, many of them ra- are incarcerated by Israel's occupying army under negligible charges or no charges at all, and who could be slated for release in the event of another exchange, have also reported intensified crackdowns and abuses by the Israeli prison authorities. It says, quote, to finish, we have to chase after you and beg you to make a deal, says Danny Elgrat, whose brother is still being held captive. And this is, she's talking about the Israeli government. They don't want to hear it. It says, quote, we are waiting to hear from you. And this is very, this very night. If you have some sort of outline, some deal, what are you waiting for? Very, very revealing. Now here is what they're trying to use. And we're going to get into the ICJ in a second. This, the the argument. So realize that they're referring to their own hostages. And how the Israeli people are aware that that's the last thing they care about to the point to where we even have IDF members on the record saying that they don't care about them. That in fact, it turned out we were killing them because they told us they weren't at risk until it turned out they didn't even know where they were. So this is my point. When they come up and they say, what's happening at the ICJ is a perversion of the word justice when really it's obvious that it's just simply the first time they're actually being held accountable here. We stand with the victims of October 7th massacre and promise to pursue justice. Oh, do you? the people that you literally aren't concerned about right now these that's what they're showing here this cartoon about these these four women who by the way each one of them are IDF members which does not justify any kind of overt violence or any kind of other abuse that if you if you're going to play the game and acknowledge that problem you have to go what of all the people that have been coming out of the palestinian prisons in israel that are completely beat up emaciated raped manip- it's, it's overwhelming it matters on both sides is the point and it has to my point here, though, is that these four women, who we'll show you in a second, are IDF members, which made them legal military targets to be taken. On top of that, that you don't care about them. You're literally bombing the areas where they're they're being held and then turning around and using their, their memory, or if, assuming they're alive, their existence to manipulate us into thinking that you're fighting for them when you just admitted you don't care about them. Like, it just shows you how grotesque this all is. The fact that they can post that knowing they're trying to bomb them, or at least don't care, it's despicable. Truly disgusting. Now, here's something interesting about this. This has been circulating. There's this, the the four women here, who are IDF members. It's easy to prove, like most of these people were, that were taken. That's how they're being used right now. Now it's interesting because that's this video, running. It turns out this really does look like her to me. That this is one of them, or I think all four of them, right there. This one girl here is one of these girls dancing up here, and they did this video where they were dancing and you know, kind of you know, making little, like, making light of what the ongoing genocide. And so what they're simply doing, just like Eli David novels, people continue to screech about every time they you know you effed around and found out which I'll show you in a second, when all they're doing when they really say that is admitting collective punishment because they're just simply going, look at all the bad things happening to all of Palestine while you celebrate in the streets. Well, thank you, Eli, for admitting that you don't care about collective punishment. The alternative here is that these are IDF members who seemingly made fun of what was going on and then got taken. Now, nobody should be okay with the fact that they look like they were beaten up or that there's just, that's, just have, have a heart. And don't relish the suffering of other people, even if they deserve it. But overall, it still has to be acknowledged that we have military targets. It does change the dynamic. But of course, they write here oh, that's their thing. I mean, I think I have the video right here. So all they're doing is they dancing around. Literally, while, while people in Palestine are starving to death, their children are dying, they have no water, they're being bombed extensively, and the hostages they pretend they care about, they're dancing and making fun of everything, right? It's pretty disgusting. And then they seemingly get taken as IDF members, and, they'll all, and all they can do is cry foul about it, right? Well, that seems to be something, like the, the dynamic here is that not, everything is justified when Israel does it, but there's literally nothing allowed in reverse. At the end of the day, this is an occupied territory, which means they have the right to armed rebellion. That's a simple fact. Anything else that's committed around that that is a crime is still a crime. So it's, it's amazing how simple that is to explain. But at the end of the day, they just don't want you to hear that. And there's just other images of them making fun of people that are being kidnapped, you know. Now here is John Spencer saying, just to be clear. Hamas has no legal basis to take prisoners of war, POWs. Hamas is not a military from a recognized nation. It does not have the right under international law to take IDF soldiers, POWs. In a fantasy world, even if they, Hamas, were a military of the nation and declared war against Israel, they would be required to follow the Geneva Conventions and the treatment of POWs. Isn't it fun how this is a one-sided argument? Because like we can't acknowledge the ups- uh, overwhelmingly egregious actions taken against Palestinians for 75 years, let alone post-October 7th, where they're being beat up and arrested for del- without charge, starved, raped, stolen from. But that doesn't count, though, because we don't acknowledge it that way, right? Follow UN resolutions, but when we don't like the ones we don't like, we'll, we'll just disregard them. It's just blatant hypocrisy. But if you want, you could argue that they don't have a a statehood, therefore they can't take POWs. They would allow, it says, and they would be required to follow Geneva Conventions. Which is hilarious to me, seeing as how the 4th Geneva Convention is literally the argument that an occupied territory has the right to armed rebellion. They just can't not play this both ways. But it says to include reporting them to the Red Cross, given the Red Cross access to them, and especially how their captives are treated. But let's not forget, we just told you, they will not allow the Red Cross to see the POWs in Israel. Like this, I mean, it's just so egregiously double standards, hypocrisy. This is everything Hamas did on October 7th. And again, they cite rape, mutilation, many of the things that have been proven to have not happened was criminal and beholden to the laws of Israel. Well, I love this answer. Kim Iverson says, well, if Palestine is not a recognized nation, which is the basis of your entire argument with the right to a military, that it's Israel, Right. Either, either it's not an occupied territory and they have everything you pretend that they don't, or if they don't, why not, seeing as how that would be Israel stopping that from happening, or it's just that it's not and that makes it Israel. And she goes, if it's Israel, then why aren't the Palestinian people, not, why are they not given citizenship and equal rights? You see, they've trapped themselves because the obvious is obvious now, like the history and the reality of what they've done to these people. And now more and more people are paying attention and asking the right questions. And they swing in with these really ridiculous one-sided arguments and it makes them look ridiculous. The hypocrisy is on full display. Now, all of that aside, her point is obvious that either it is or it isn't. You don't just keep dancing back and forth, but now they're calling it a border one day and then, call, you know, the way they play it is it when they want it to, Gaza's its own place. But when they don't, it's somehow they're just, they're ever, they justify whatever else they do. They control the territory. This is all occupied Palestine, and Gaza, regardless of whether they backed away and put them in a cage, is still part of the occupied territory. They don't have any of the things that you would argue, as he just made the case, to make them their own state. So that makes it all Israel, which makes it Israel's obligation to keep these people safe, but what they've done is completely genocide of the area. But going to the POW argument in regard to the Geneva Conventions, first of all, embarrassing to call on Geneva Conventions while you ignore them, but we're, what we're ultimately talking about here is an ongoing dynamic. And that's the whole point about the belligerent occupier, that this is still a concept that's going on. You know, it's, it's not like this is a dissolved situation where they're just left and they're trying to resolve the political side. It's an obvious ongoing battle, which is what Israel tries to make the argument about, which justifies their actions, but they have foregone those rights because they don't take actions to keep the Palestinian people safe. Either way... The point is that they took the territory 75 years ago, and it's they've continued to fight to fight it back. So that means that just because you don't acknowledge that it was its own territory, doesn't remove their rights under the Geneva Conventions because you've maintained this illegal occupation. They acted as the occupied, which means they have the right to armed rebellion, and in the process went after military targets. So they they it's this this is why they're losing in the public, the court, the public opinion. Because these things are easy to prove. And that goes to the point about people like this and whether or not taking them was legal, not hurting them, abusing them, or any other way like that. Now, here is what we keep seeing, this leading in closer to the discussion of the ICJ. It says here, at the International Criminal Court of Justice, along with the families of the hostages, demanding justice for their release. So there's a lot of these people that are trying to like jump in front of a lot of these movements and be like, "Look, look, we're all against Hamas bad guys and we hate Palestinians." When the reality is, most of those people are exactly what we just told you. They're not pro Palestine or even pro Gaza, but they are not they're not directing this at I mean, again, what's the argument? Bring bring them home, their release. Are you petitioning Hamas? Right? Like think about how ridiculous that is. Who are you aiming this at? They are doing this to say, Israeli Israeli government, bring our people home. Stop murdering them all. Bring our people home. Stop bombing everywhere. Bring our people home. And then a woman like this jumps out and goes, yay, we're all on the same side. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're standing there pretending like they're all fighting. Let's keep the war going to bring them home. That's not what they're saying. It's desperation because that's the best you can do. And here is another important article that overlaps with the one we read a second ago. Mohammed Jihada points out the top, uh, Israelis' top new paper, uh, um, Yed, gotta say that. YNET, easier way to say it. The IDF ordered all of its combat units on October 7th to use the Hannibal procedure. This has now been revealed on top of all the rest of it, including the colonel who's already said this on the record, to stop any militants from returning to Gaza quote, at all costs, even if they had hostages. So it's now come out even more so that it wasn't just some byproduct or some accidental thing. They knowingly said, kill them all. Even if they, we don't, you know, we know they've got hostages and that's likely why they're trying to kill them before they can come home and continue to admit that they saw that happen. Not hard to understand. Here's the article. The instruction, prevent terrorists from returning to Gaza at all costs even if they have hostages with them. we we'll let's read this real quickly. On the morning of October 7th, several, several impressive episodes of heroism and sacrifice were recorded in the history of the country, but also a long series of failures. So, uh, where, where's it right here? A command system that has almost completely failed and gone completely blind. Fighters who due to lack of communication, that's the wrong spot. Hold on, I just wanted to cut you the chase one of the revelations revealed is that the in the investigation is that at midnight of the 7th on October the IDF ordered all of its fighting units to practice the use of the Hannibal procedure it's now been admitted although without clearly mentioning this explicit name the order was to stop at all costs any attempt by Hamas terrorists to return to Gaza despite the fear that they have they had hostages it's it's impossible to deny anymore what is going on and let's not forget even Harass has already made the same argument from a different angle. That they, this is, these are the pilots that were uh, the Apache helicopters, admitting that they shot people that were coming back from the concert. It's impossible to miss all this. Now, one thing I, I, I may go deeper on this later, but I saw this last second. I think Orwell showed this to me from the Intercept. Israeli group claims it's working with big tech insiders to censor inflammatory wartime content, right? is just a nod right back to the Twitter thing we just talked about. This is simply another example of these invasive manipulative groups that are working inside these tech insiders to censor content about things they don't want you to see. And now you see why, because they are scrambling and people see what they are. Now, this is Alan McLeod pointing out well, we're going to go through a couple of quick statements. For I think, generally, finish with the ICJ statements. We're looking good on time. He says, "When people show you who they are, believe them." And my God, do we have enough of that coming from the Israeli government? Israeli pr- member of parliament Nissan Vaturi in press remarks says, "Literally, Gaza and its people must be burned." I mean, think about using that kind of rhetoric when you keep nodding to the Holocaust and everything else about that, like, these are the new Nazis, and then you say they should all be burned. I think about that. I have no pity for them, he says. He's not going to talk about Hamas. He's talking about everybody in Gaza, which, by the way, continues to prove to you that this is about all of them. And Censored News points out, here's a thread with the receipts of him making similar comments in November. He followed up his call to burn Gaza now, no less, with a call to cut off fuel and water. Collective punishment. Crazy. This is why people are calling this out. Now, here is what Netanyahu tried to say. This is from yesterday. Pretty embarrassing, too.
2: i to make a few points absolutely clear. Israel has no intention of permanently occupying Gaza or displacing its civilian population. Israel is fighting Hamas terrorists, not the Palestinian population. And we are doing so in full compliance with international law. The IDF is doing its utmost to minimize civilian casualties.
1: Right, just keep saying it over and over and over. Just keep saying it. Right? Maybe, maybe it'll change the obvious reality of genocide if you just say it three more times.
2: While Hamas is doing its utmost to maximize them by using Palestinian civilians as human shields.
1: All right? And that's all it got. That's all they got. Just like calling you racist is the only thing they have. Right? So apparently, as we've said from the beginning, there's only three kinds of Palestinians here. Right? There are human shields, they're the ones that support Hamas, and they're the ones that chose to remain, so they are by default Hamas. Funny how that works. Funny how there's no category where they're not simply by default somebody you can murder.
2: The IDF urges Palestinian civilians to leave war zones by disseminating leaflets, making phone calls, providing safe passage corridors.
1: Nope. Amnesty International's already proven they lied about this. That they continued to target homes, didn't warn anybody. But I guess the facts don't matter if you just keep saying it out loud.
2: While Hamas prevents Palestinians from leaving at gunpoint. Provably
1: false. I mean, how pathetic. This is yesterday. He's just going back to these arguments. You might as well bring up 40 beheaded babies. It's, it's sad how obvious this is.
2: And often with gunfire. Our goal is to rid Gaza of Hamas terrorists and free our hostages. Once this is achieved... Gaza can be demilitarized and de-radicalized.
1: Right, so de-radicalized. So we see these videos of a bunch of Palestinians lined up and blindfolded in their underwear, most of which they later admit aren't any relation to Hamas at all, if any of them. And we're talking about the de-radicalization of average civilians, and yet nobody has a problem with that. Right? People talk about Uyghurs in China and, oh my God, it's the biggest humanitarian crisis of the world. But literally, Israel can talk about, I mean, it's just so insulting to have these overlaps to the conversation of Nazi Germany while every single thing they do aligns with the extremism that they pretend they were fighting. The idea of trying to de radicalize the mindset of somebody. Like, where in the world, how did we ever get back to that point? This used to be something we acknowledge was like, you don't just by force try to reprogram people's minds. That's just ridiculous. That that is what villainy looks like. That's who they are.
2: Thereby creating a possibility for a better future for Israel and Palestinians alike.
1: My God. Right. And this is coming off the article we just read from you where IDF members are literally saying they could care less about those people, that they've been bombing those people. Their own people come home and say, you killed us. You killed my family. You don't even care. What are you waiting for? Yeah, he stands up and says, no, no, but it's, it's we're the exact opposite of that. How embarrassing. And let's not forget that you already have a leaked plan that WikiLeaks has confirmed that outlines exactly what he said isn't happening. The mass displacement, not Leon come home. And what do we just read to you? That they were literally saying to their own people, don't worry, we're going to be able to drink mojitos on Gaza soon. How is that possible if you're telling us they're going to let them come back? Well, here is plenty of the people in his current coalition saying. The renewal, the Israeli settlements in Gaza are the order of the hour. Illegal Israeli settlements, not for Gaza, not for Palestinians, but for Jewish is legal, illegal settlers. And we already talked about this, the plan for the new Gaza Israeli settlements on December 18th. Here is Smotrich touting the revival of these illegal settlements in Gaza. It's always been on the table. And of course, in this actual um, URL. Literally, oh, I think it's actually just right here. He says, Israel should discuss the revival of the civilian settlements within Gaza. And it says, Minister Smotrich said Saturday night while denying that any of Gaza's approximately 2 million residents were innocent. Same thing the president said. There is nobody innocent. But then they'll turn around and say, but we're only fighting Hamas and all the the good Palestinians can come back. Well, if none of them are innocent, then which ones are you talking about? They trap themselves with their own belligerent extremist rhetoric rhetoric mohammed shihada points out israel's knesset parliament is hosting a conference on building these settlements explain for me how you're not going to do this but you're having conferences on how to do it and have maps drawn for where they're going to go and you're hiring people that already work with previous settlements to map this out for you this is how stupid they think we are thousands of israelis are applying to colonize gaza but it's fake news though not happening as you apply for these locations The maps are already ready. Pathetic. Now, on top of all that, as I told you was going to happen, it's not hard to see. Most Other people pointed this out as well. These pseudo-intellectuals will be be already, and soon more so, will begin acting like it's the humane thing to do, to force Palestinians into Egypt or elsewhere, despite this being a massive war crime, all because Israel's murdering them in real time. Don't stop that. (laughs) Just accommodate, right? Like, this is the point. So they're just belligerently bombing. We have a thousand examples from their own people admitting that's what they're doing. Their own statements show you they don't care about them. And instead of going, let's stop murdering them, we've used that extremism to justify as some kind of abstract, broken moral argument that they shouldn't be forced out of here because otherwise they'll die. Well, then stop trying to kill them. And that won't be the case. But you see, the point is this has always been the plan. Like when Mark Lamont put it to one of those Israeli officials and said, well, why don't you let them into, into Israel? And they, he just was blown away by that. If they're not bad people and you're pretending you're fighting to save them, then let them into Israel. No, because they don't want them there anymore. This is what's her name from GB uh, the GB News. Is that what it was? And it's embarrassing. This, he, the, When you listen to the clip, she's trying to make some broken argument about why they should be moved. And it's so clear that she barely even knows what she's talking about.
4: Well, maybe you should take these people. Maybe the solution is that these people aren't in this sort of prison camp that Gaza has been called, even though.
1: And of course, they just can't not acknowledge they, the obvious exact, the reality that comes from the, the static truth of the ground—that they are in an open air prison and don't have control of any of it. As we just saw, uh, what's his name get in front of the? I think it was the House of Commons, where he was like, "Well, you just said that they turned the water off. that's not mean that they have the power to turn it on." It's so obvious but that they keep pretending like this isn't the case when the UN and anybody with authority on this topic has made that clear. And then she sneers at you like this because you don't, how dare you suggest it's a prison camp. It is a prison camp. It's exactly what it was designed to be. But people like this tow these lines and quite frankly, she just may not know it, which is embarrassing too.
4: Well, maybe you should take these people. Maybe the solution is that these people aren't in this sort of prison camp that Gaza has been called, even though of course, actually you see pictures before, um, you know, not at all a prison camp
1: oh yeah, let's show one of those pictures of the beach and pretend like that makes any difference to the fact that they can't have... Act- I mean, the reason people get so upset by things like this is because you they are starving people. They are murdering people. They are raping and pillaging and stealing, and they have been for 75 years. And for her to just swing in and go, here's a pretty picture of this one location and act like that diminishes what they're doing, not only is that a dishonest argument, it's just ignorant.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, But the, the maybe, you know, that... uh. Uh, you know th- th- these people should be offered a new life elsewhere. Now many may not want it, wow. but we have seen. And I was really surprised when I discovered this. This is my own ignorance, and apologies for that. But this, the awful phrase "ethnic cleansing." I don't like that phrase. There's a difference between you know uh, people being you, uh, uh, you know, killed to be to be removed from a a, a piece of land than, than than the forced expulsion. This has happened.
1: Okay, what is your argument there? There's a difference from people being killed to be removed or people being removed. Well, guess what? You complete ignorant person, they're both ethnic cleansing. You don't have to murder people to cleanse an area of an ethnicity. I don't even think she understands what the, sen- the term means. She just has been told that it's, you know, it's crinkly her nose at the term because it m- makes Israel look bad. right? Like we're not supposed to say, yeah. what's the other term they don't like you to say? Anyway, the, the point is that they just, or concentration camp. It's like, how dare you? What do you mean, how dare you? It has a meaning just because you've made it some... No go zone doesn't mean the word doesn't have meaning. Or it's look it up. A concentration camp is not unique to Nazi Germany. It's an it's a real thing with the definition, which perfectly is met by what Gaza is. So she just doesn't even understand what she's talking about, quite frankly. But it's sad. That people listen to people like this
4: numerous times, and in recent years, since the since the Second World War, there were huge numbers of peoples in their millions who were moved from you know, from, from lands moved to. Basically, there was nonstop uh, you know fighting between them. I, I can't even
1: I can't even basically follow what she's trying to mumble out right there. But at the end of the day, she's basically going well because it's happened before all the time. I guess it's it should be okay. I guess it's her broken argument. That it's because throughout the years, post-World War II, there were a lot of illegal ethnic cleansing and dis- mass displacement campaigns. So I guess it should be okay, right? Just ignore genocide. Like, who are these people?
4: Right, you know, you're, you know, you're going to Greece, you're going to Turkey, you're going to Albania, you're going wherever. This has actually been incredibly common. And of course, we've seen the ethnic...
1: It's okay then. It's common.
4: Right? You know how common murder is? Does that make it okay? ...ethnic cleansing of Jews and Christians in the Middle East without anyone batting an eye. Get about that.
1: <laughs> really? Nobody batted an eye? Wow. That that should go down as one of the stupidest things I've ever heard her say. Frankly, that just isn't even true. A lot of people batted their eyes. They have higher basis for the argument of what's happening here comes from that. It's it's hilarious to me, the kind of things people will say in the endless, desperate pursuit to cover for what Israel's doing. And again, as I said, these pseudo-intellectuals will begin arguing that this is the right thing to do because, well, it's happened before, and... Murder's happening, so let's get them out of the way before it happens more without blaming or holding accountable the group that's responsible for it. But again, don't forget that Netanyahu is openly proud of the fact that he's been preventing the thing that was supposed to cause the peace before we got to this point. And that they've been funding Hamas the entire time, as Heretz admitted on the record, because it's part of their strategy. You can't fund and transfer money to them and then pretend it's not your fault that things happen, right? Now, here's Mr. Eli David, you know, showing you exactly who they are, which I appreciate. He says on October 7th, you celebrated. I don't know who he's talking to. I guess just literally all Palestine, because literally everybody in Palestine was celebrating. Right, David? Could you prove that? No, that's a dumb thing to say, because plenty of them weren't. Plenty of them didn't agree with this. Plenty of them weren't. I mean, it's so dumb to pretend it's broad stroke. But what he said is you celebrated that we were slaughtered. No, no, they didn't. In fact, they celebrated And well, what he's pointing to is one post from without any engagement that you can see, so it probably wasn't even that shared that much, saying Israel, right? Okay, so again, conflating the idea of the support of the armed resistance, which by the way is legally protected, and the fact that 75 years of brutal apartheid and occupation were just pushed back against, everybody should celebrate that. When crimes were committed, then people should call it out. But then, see, he says how it started, how it's going. And what do you see here? A picture of Khan Yunus. You know, the area that was supposed to be the safe zone that is utterly destroyed. So is that how it's going, David? That because some people cheered, you destroy all of Palestine? Yeah, thanks for admitting that, that you like collective punishment. And I said, all you're doing is proving you agree with and celebrate collective punishment. Whether you think it's justified or not, you don't broadly attack all Palestinian society because of what happened on October 7th, and you said that was Hamas you're the one that sometimes pretend like you're trying to not fight the Palestinian people, but then go on to make that very clear. I said, your barely thought through propaganda is Israel's worst enemy, Eli. Who needs enemies when you have clumsy friends like Eli David? But they're just admitting it. Because I think they get a kick out of making this statement. It's sort of like the people making that video of the girls being kidnapped, right? And they were just dancing and making fun. They love doing that. F around and find out. It's just so gross. But when they do it over here, they're very clearly admitting that they are okay attacking everybody in Palestine because they're all animals. Here's another person. This person simply pointing out that they're leveling everything in Palestine, which by the way, shouldn't be okay because you're not just going after Hamas, going after all of Palestine. But then he admits that. He says, yes, Gaza's losing the war they started. Oh, is it Gaza now? Aren't you the ones that keep trying to tell us that you're not going after Palestinians? making passionate arguments about we should save them and help us fight Hamas, as you then go, yay, you're all bad guys. He says, that's how it works. Guess what? They can end this at any time they want. All Palestinians? How exactly? Am I? It's like pretending I can end the U.S. invasion of Iraq right now if I just stand up and go, stop! I don't like it! No, oh, is that, is that, they're just going to go, oh, I'm sorry, Ryan. I didn't know you didn't like our invasion of Iraq. We'll just back away. That's not how the world works, bud. And it says all they have to do is surrender. Well, what he's doing is talking about Hamas, but then showing a discussion that discusses all of Palestine being attacked and saying Gaza started it. So again, the point is simple. They're admitting collective punishment is what they're celebrating. And this is, again, why they're losing in front of the International Criminal Court of Justice. But here, same thing Netanyahu tried to do. This is Mr. Biggers here stepping in saying, hey, it's only against Hamas, not against the people of Gaza, while well, we literally just read from IDF members saying that they're definitely targeting literally everybody on the ground.
5: As a moral military committed to international law.
1: Committed to international law, except when it bothers them.
5: We are making vast efforts to minimize harm to the civilians that Hamas has forced into the role of human shields.
1: Right, so so the, the thirty five thousand people killed. Apparently, they were all human shields. Even though we can't even prove a few Hamas members have been killed.
5: Hamas attacks Israelis and then take shelter behind Gazans. Okay, well, what about the what about the? Uh, I think it was seven babies you guys left in
1: incubators to rot, knowing they were there, knowing that they told you, "Hey, there's babies in there." You then secured the area and then left them to die. Was that somehow a human shield dynamic? I mean, there's an endless string of those examples. Nobody believes this. people, other than people invested in their argument, I really don't think anybody
5: believes what they're saying. Because Hamas seeks the suffering of Israelis and Gazans. We are concerned by the suffering of civilians in Gaza. Are they? this
1: Are they? How, how exactly are they concerned about it when they're the ones killing them?
5: This war that Hamas started.
1: No, they actually didn't, by the way. 75 years of brutal occupation started with your occupation.
5: We are concerned because our war is against Hamas, not against the people of Gaza. We're going to live next to them. This might not fit the narrative told on TV or TikTok.
1: I mean, so this is what's hilarious about this is all they do is come out and go, that's all not true. They may, you know, that's it. That's liars and racists and stuff. And then there's just an endless example of them saying the opposite, of people on the record admitting the opposite, of their own people coming home admitting the opposite. But that's all fake somehow, because he says so. Right, the old trust me bro source, right? How's that working out for everybody?
5: But our actions are proof that we care more about the people of Gaza than Hamas, who sees the suffering of their own people as a strategy. We are ready. You know, what they're doing right
1: now, guys, is just projecting what they are. And you know what? Maybe it is what Hamas is. Quite frankly, it's very hard to tell these days, knowing that all they are was because Israel funded them into the reality. But either way, they're just simply projecting exactly what they are and what they do. That's the obvious thing. The, The only point there, he goes on to say the same old nonsense, is that they're not fighting against Gaza. And then let's not forget—he's literally the one on the record that said the emphasis is on damage, not accuracy. That's him. That's who the—that's per- the person citing this. Where was it? That's where it used to. I should have—I thought I had it. Anyway, his name is in here. Shoot, that's him. That's this guy right here. Uh, This is the one speaking on the record when this started. This was October 10th. Emphasis is on damage, not accuracy. So if you're aiming for damage and then using dumb bombs and bombing the safe areas and your own people have said that you just take down buildings, take down buildings and assassinating individuals, assassinating 110 journalists or 145 UN members. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and pretend that you're only fighting Hamas, though. Right. It's just painfully obvious. And here is Mossad just, I guess, just praising that they destroyed Islamic university. I mean, this is the point. It's like they they're so juvenile about this that they can't omit, like they can't, they know that we're paying attention, and they still can't stop themselves from just relishing the moment. This is what all the video is. with the undertone that like, well, you did this to yourselves, right? You did this to yourself. Was Hamas occupying the Islamic university? They're not even making the argument. They're basically just going, we destroyed it. That you're welcome. Right, well, thank you. Thank you for being honest about the fact that all you're doing is destroying everybody you don't like. The Islamic university of Hamas. It's as simple as that. Right? This is a Hamas toaster. This is the Hamas fan. This is the Hamas calendar. Right, doesn't matter. Remember, remember the game? they put Whatever it is, it's the Hamas version. Look at this dangerous blanket they use. It's Hamas blankets. That's all they're doing. Here's another example. This is a professor of law and finance for Euromed Human Rights Watch. Or uh, Euromed human, uh, human... What was it again? Hold on. It's, how does, it's Euromed Human Rights Monitor. Israel's warplanes have bombed the remaining generators of the power generation station in Gaza. I guess we just assume it's all Hamas, right? Or is it collective punishment as they keep praising against everybody in Gaza? It says, with this, Israel has destroyed all aspects of essential life in Gaza, including water stations, roads, hospitals, universities, most schools, and our only flour mill. But totally not collective punishment, guys, because you're racist if you say that. Here is another good example. Just one quick video that shows you how obvious this is. This really ridiculous IDF member gets caught about to throw a grenade at a bunch of journalists and he just sheepishly walks away. But if this wasn't a person filming there, they would have done it, gotten away with it, and nobody would question it.
6: Literally, journalists and medics. So you can see there are emergency service workers here. There's an ambulance there. There are journalists. Here we go. Look at this.
1: Here
0: we go. Busted! Oh, he just told him not to
1: throw. You <laughs> can see it. They saw the camera
0: yep. and didn't. But
1: there, you can see. Oh yeah, we're doing stuff in his hands. Not buying it, bud. He got a grenade. Yeah. He got busted. He was about to throw that stun grenade. And then and now they're telling him, get out of here. All right, stop, stop reporting on our crimes. It's very clear, guys. You can look at this yourself in slow motion. These are all ambulances. The ambulance. Medical workers, journalists. Oh, oh! And he's about to throw it right there.
0: Journalists. Here we go. Look at
1: this. Here we go. Wait. Oops.
0: Oh, he just told him not to throw. See it. my
1: point, guys? That's a war crime. <laughs> and he was just going to casually lob it at them because there is zero accountability, and they they get away with this stuff every day. Here is just another airstrike. This was from yesterday at a random house right in front of the Al Aqsa Hospital number of people have been killed injured nobody cares here's low-key reporting that Israel's openly admitted now purposely targeting one of these Palestinian journalists talking about uh, Hamdan and these ones we just talked about the other day Hamza carrying out he's basically saying serves as an activist in the gap terrorist organization All right so you just get to level broad accusations with zero evidence after you murder a journalist that's called re- reactive propaganda. That's what they do. They've killed over 145 journalists as far as I can tell. No, wait, was it? Oh, no, excuse me. I think it back. It was 144 UN members and there was 111 plus of ju- journalists, but I'm sure there's more than that at this point. And all they have to do is say, he did bad things. What about the Reuters journalists you killed in Lebanon that nobody seems to care about or any number of others that don't have any story around them? Well, all they have at this point is still reverting back to the atrocity propaganda. They've lost control of this so egregiously that that's all they can do. And here's Daniel Ben Namer, who is uh, not sure exactly, but, you know, brooding of the narrative. Is it's so difficult to understand, he writes, and has some kind of meme that says, if you kill, rape, and behead babies, you're a terror organization. To which 90% of the comments said, well, thank you for admitting the IDF is a terrorist organization. The point is, this is, you, you're still tripling, quadrupling down on the beheaded babies argument? Is there anybody other than people that blindly support Zionism that, have, that believe that anymore? Everybody walked it back, including Biden himself. As I said, is it so difficult to understand? They lied. Here's the Haaretz article that you can read for yourself that provably breaks this down. The baby in the oven, the baby out of the stomach, all of this stuff, these were proven to be lies by Haaretz's own investigation. Here's an example of how this works. This is the kind of stuff we see This forceful. And this is my point about just basically saying you're racist, right? If you disagree, your argument is, well, you're an anti-Semite. Well, it's the best you got, man. Certainly possible, I guess. But how about we just don't blindly agree with your narratives that don't have money evidence to back it up. And so this person is out here basically like bullying people and screaming. And this guy just doesn't agree. And watch the way he responds. And of course, they call him a Jewish Marxist, shamelessly denies October 7th. Oh, so he's a Jew, right? So just because he's a Jew that doesn't agree with you, suddenly he's a bad Jew. Doesn't that show you how gross that all is? That it's basically like Ben Shapiro calling them trash because they say we want to cease fire Jewish voices for peace. No, that makes you guys disgusting. And it makes makes the, the fact is that you now are putting up these parameters around what makes a Jew because based on what you agree with. As if only people... Like, think about how crazy that is. It's like Christians saying you're not a Christian if you disagree with Biden or Trump. You see my point? Like, that's ridiculous. This person attacks him, and all he's doing is going, what's the evidence? How dare you call for evidence? Why don't you just blindly listen to people? And what he says in here is, we have testimony. Oh, yeah? From who? Have you seen these people? Like, of course, the response is, do you want to see people raped? It's not what he said. Point is that the only evidence we have about this comes from secondhand testimony from people who have literally already been proven to be lying about this. But this is how they respond.
2: is denying that Jewish women were raped, that his family were murdered and butchered by these Hamas dogs. Proven. It. Prove it. I'll show you now. Yeah. What evidence? Do you want to see
1: them actually getting raped? Oh, and see that's how that goes. Oh, you'll prove it. And oh, oh, whoops. Hold on. I can't prove it, so I'm going to lash out again. What do you want to see the rape? Well, you just offered to prove it, man. Do you have evidence or not? And the idea that not having evidence somehow is your responsibility, that you're a bad person for acknowledging that, shows you how desperate this
3: all is. Is that I've what you want it. to watch? Do you want to watch Jewish women getting raped? Is that what Where's you're asking it? for?
1: Nobody said that.
3: Have you shown, is I that know, what you're asking you got, you for? I've, I've met right. the survivors.
1: Oh, have you? He's lying, by the way, because that has not happened. There are the, the people that they keep pointing to have all been anonymous. He's lying. And this is how this game keeps working. These people come out of that stupid atrocity video and say, it proves everything except the guardians already acknowledged or Owen Jones from the guardian that it did not along with journalists he was there with. But yet that doesn't stop plenty of them from coming out and going. It proved everything because they're lying. They feel some kind of moral obligation, I guess, to fight on behalf of Israel's lies. He's lying. Because what they have is anonymous testimony from second-hand information through the IDF, and most of that has already been walked back. And the forensic evidence doesn't exist because they chose not to find it. So from a legal perspective, there isn't an ev- evidence that can prove this. But he doesn't like that.
6: Show me them. Show
1: me what Jewish women. What, what evidence do
0: you want? What, what evidence would I you accept? Would you accept testimony? No. Would you accept? No. So you would not trust a woman that says they've been raped? No.
1: See, think about how a ridiculous, so why would you just blindly believe somebody making an allegation? Now, if you're talking about just accepting that they need help and saying, okay, well, let's get you some, you know, whatever, that's one thing. But if you're actually calling for accountability or action, which is what they're all doing, they want everyone to join in on their side and go, go after them, put them in prison. Okay. Well, if that's what you want, which it is, then you should be demanding evidence. Because you can't put people behind bars without proving the evidence. That evidence doesn't exist. So it's this cycle that they've trapped themselves in. And so when somebody like that stands up and says, look, you need more than that, it outrages them. And all we're left with is this dynamic where they can scream all they want, but the evidence doesn't exist. It's not there. And at this point, now that we've already shown the Zaka group and the rest of them blatantly getting caught lying, how long until they coerce somebody into pretending that that happened? That's what the guy's saying. At this point, it's very obvious to see that there's a manipulation going on. So we should demand evidence. Now, I'm not saying that we need to see all the, but the point is the forensic side of it would have done a lot more, but they made sure that didn't happen.
0: I wouldn't. Not a a Zionist. Not a Jewish woman,
1: you Nope, nope. We didn't hear him say, he, he said Zionist. But you see, these people are so emotionally wrapped up in this. Zionism is not Judaism. But you see, that's the end of it. That's the best he has. Okay, did, did, where was the part where he showed him the evidence? Oh, that's right. It didn't happen because he doesn't have it. But my point here, guys, is all this is the reaction you're getting. The over-the-top, emotional, accusational standpoint that you just must be an anti-Semite, right? They're also getting into this point, the the ICJ. This is one of these people, these Avi Kompos. These people just repeat. They, if you look at these accounts and compare them, Elon Levy, Daylight David, this person, the hen mazig. It's identical. They clearly are getting direction from something. They are basically share the same memes, the same arguments, sometimes verbatim, the same statements, all within the same kind of hour day time frame. It's pretty ridiculous. But they write Deborah and Shalom Matthias would be testifying for Israel at the International Criminal Court of Justice today. They cannot because they were murdered on October 7th. Okay, well, were they killed by Hamas or were they killed by IDF bombings? too late. That's already public information. So we need to understand that it seems that the most of those people were killed were done. So by the tanks that bombed these areas, the helicopters that shot them on the way out. Yeah, that's part of it. But see, they just omit that because they they, they can't do anything about it. Now, the second part of it is what does this have to do with genocide committed after the seventh? So these people, let's say they're alive. They come in and they say, everything Israel said was true. Okay, well, the ICJ is, okay, that doesn't matter. That has nothing to do with whether or not we are deciding you committed genocide on October 8th, 9th, and 10th and forward. But see, this is the best they can do is point back at the memory of people who they probably killed to argue that that's why this is unfair or somehow that their suffering justifies the suffering of these people. It's not a valid argument. And it's the same thing here, just to show you the picture again. Well, if they these four women who you're probably already killed by bombing in Gaza were here, what would they say that would change what you've done since October seven? Nothing. And another one, same this this girl, Leal Hatsroni, who I mean I think it was even the Daily Mail as well as the Haaretz article, openly admits that she was killed by IDF tank shells that hit the house. Dan Cohen writes that. She was murdered by the Israeli military because of the Brigadier General Barak Harim's order to fire tank shells at the house. It's a verifiable fact. Their own people have admitted this. She was there. She saw it. And yet, Aviva still tries to use her death to push their own agenda. That's disgusting. And again, this is the... uh, What was he again? Make sure I don't misreport what he was. member of Knesset. Yeah. So he's a member of the government who spoke up and said, well, it's my constitutional duty to the Israeli society and everybody of the residents of Israel to not basically to side with the South African genocide convention. So he stood up and he sided with the reality that he thinks the Israeli government is committing genocide, a member of their own government. And we're still disputing this, right? So he did that and he got attacked for it. Dan Cohen writes, the Israeli far right figures are planning a demonstration. This was on the 9th outside of his home. And, re- and they put out all this crazy stuff with a picture of this person holding his severed head. Like, they're trying to threaten people into, into silence. That's what they do. And we already know that Israel's being accused of intimidating the judges ahead of the hearings because that's also what they do. Now, <clears throat> here is the electronic intifada. Just giving you a couple of quick breakdowns here. Saying... This is essentially a 2-day hearing, like I said earlier. So tomorrow is going to be Israel's chance to respond and whether they're going to impose what they call provisional measures, such as ordering a ceasefire, and but doesn't mean Israel's going to abide by it. And it might and it could apply to more than just Israel if they rule in some other direction. But here's the video you can watch for yourself and it's just this is just 3 hours of what happened today. And tomorrow Israel's representatives will have the same time for their rebuttal. Now it says the International Court of Justice is the principal judicial body of the United Nations and its root roots date back to more than a century. The ICJ generally decides disputes between states and can also issue advisory opinions at the request of the UN General Assembly. Now the ICJ is not to be confused with the International Criminal Court, which I keep accidentally, you know, conflating, but it says which is also based in The Hague, established in 2002, the ICC Here's criminal cases against individuals for war crimes and crimes against humanity, which may also play a role here going forward when it comes to people like, you know, when it comes down to individual accountability. The ICC has faced growing criticism with its inaction over Palestine for a long time now, which is why many people are hoping that the ICJ Court of Justice will prove to be more robust in in this direction. Now, again, South Africa is the one that's invoked the Genocide Convention. This is the 1948 Genocide Convention. South Africa having a very unique understanding of this. Remember, apartheid South Africa was worked alongside with Israel, making ethnic weapons and all sorts of horrible things. Kind of hard. It's important to understand why that was happening with Israeli support. The same reason this is today. This was highlighted. I'm probably just going to skip it for time. Saying key issues basically, what are the measures they're asking for? Um, and it's saying that the emergency order to freeze the situation pending the outcome. I just, I, I argue that no matter what happens here, Israel's not going to abide by it. Of course, unless it goes all the way in the other direction and they say that Gaza must do X, Y, and Z and Israel's going to say, of course, and we'll, you know, <laughs> the same thing they do every time. They, if, if the UN says what they like, they'll push it in your face. If they don't, they'll ignore it. It's just such blatant hypocrisy. I'm just going to leave it there. You can read this for yourself if you want more nuanced understanding of it. Now here, Craig... Mo, uh, Mokeber, right? South Africa opened its case today at the World Court referring to a 75-year continuum of ongoing Nakba. So it's really important to understand that they're bringing this back to not October 7th forward, but all the way back to the illegal occupation. So it gave me hope for where this might go. Because if you weren't starting there, this wouldn't have been honest. Forced dispossession, denial of self-determination, and the right to return. And that's the whole point about the occupation, right? That, that The right to return is the point of Palestinians after whatever you claim happened in Nakba, should have legally had the right to go back to their homes. Not to the new place they put them in, but the Israel, what it is today Israel proper. They've never allowed that. That's what the whole march of return was about. Now it's saying that annihilation of thousands of civilians the acts they're responsible for extermination of the whole families harm to millions kidnapping humiliating disappearing civilians displacement destroyed homes hospital schools, starvation denial of medical care food water or reproductive violence actually really quickly i forgot oops hold on i wanted to grab this amnesty article that i briefly mentioned Or was it damning evidence of war crimes right there? <clears throat> this is the one I briefly mentioned. I, just, I forgot. I want to make sure I included it for you. And that's the one that simply shows you the damning evidence from October 20th of war crimes as they wipe out entire families. And it, this is just from a three-day investigation from the 7th to the 12th of October. And they proved that in each of these five cases, they violated international law by either not taking precautions, taking indiscriminate attacks, or by deliberately targeting civilians. You know, and it's just, these things prove, you could easily prove this. And then on the intent, the point was, it's it's unbelievably obvious. Systematic purge, collective punishment, statements by the president, the prime minister, the Knesset general, it was just unbelievably obvious. So here is what the US media is doing about it, right? They jumped into action and they finally realized their ways and they're going, everybody, oh no, none of that. In fact, they just ignored it entirely, which is exactly what you'd expect from the ridiculous corporate media. Think about how crazy that is. Even if you disagree with it, This is one of the largest things that's ever happened in the history of the Israel conversation. And not a peep from any of the corporate media? Seriously? God, that's pathetic. Mainstream media is complicit in Israel's genocide. Today, South Africa presented their oral argument against Israel. Here's what the U.S. mainstream media are showing in the U.K. on their homepages. None of it. God, that's pathetic. It's just so meek and feeble. Now, Edward Snowden wrote... Despite Israel's war on Gaza being perhaps the deadliest war for children in modern history, only two headlines out of over 1,100 in this study he did of the biggest U.S. or somebody did, biggest U.S. mainstream outlets coverage. Oh, that's right. I take it back. This was the Intercept article he's referencing, which you can read for yourself. So he's quoting it, saying that only two headlines out of 1,100 even mentioned the the children of Gaza. I mean, it just kind of makes your skin crawl. Like these are the same people that try to pretend like they're fighting for human rights and freedom, and they can't even be bothered to care about the most innocent group and the most affected group of this entire discussion. It's disgusting. He says, while the war on Gaza has been one of the deadliest in modern history for journalists, same point, overwhelmingly Palestinians, the word journalists and it's... Into iterations such as reporters, photojournalists, et cetera, et cetera, only appeared in nine headlines out of 1100. In history, we've never seen this many journalists killed in, in really in any warfare, but in this short a period of time. And they can't, they can't even be bothered to mention it as journalists because they're not journalists is the point. How dis- embarrassing. The lack of coverage for the unprecedented killing of children and journalists groups that typically elicit sympathy from Western media is conspicuous. Hamas killings of Israeli civilians are consistently portrayed as part of a group strategy, whereas Palestinians' killing, civ- kill- civilian killings are covered as a series of thousands of one-off mistakes, despite n- numerous points of evidence indicating Israel's intent to harm civilians. It's just so egregiously obvious. I, I, I'm really hoping that we don't lose sight of how clearly we're seeing who they are right now. Now, one more thing, and then we'll play some of these statements to kind of wrap up today. we still got probably 30 minutes or so, but I wanted you to hear what they're saying before we go to tomorrow. Before that, though, here is Starmer on Israel's actions. And it's so pathetic how all of them have done this. Matt Miller, you know, oh, wait, we can't just start throwing around accusations of war crimes. We have to investigate every single bombing. But Russia, war crimes. Right? Russia can sneeze hard. It does war crimes. Where's the tribunal? No, that's exactly what he does right here. We can't just be sitting behind these desks and, act in, you know, investigating these claims. Well, that's exactly what he does down here when it comes to Russia.
0: Whether each and every act is in accordance with the law, well, that will have to be adjudicated in due course. Um, I think it's unwise for politicians to stand on stages like this or to sit in television studios and pronounce day by day which acts may or may not be in accordance with international law. I think it's not the role of politicians. Is Vladimir Putin a war criminal? Yes. Yes. What I've seen already amounts to war crimes, uh, particularly uh, the awful attacks on civilians.
1: See my point? Well, OK, you may agree with that. The point is that exactly what he's listing off in Russia, and, and and quite frankly, what Ukraine did way more obviously, if you believe Russia did that at all, because everything they're citing comes from Ukraine says and videos Ukraine sends, has provably happened over in Gaza. Now, you could argue it's because Hamas, X, Y, and Z, human shield, or because they were doing this and they missed that. It doesn't change the fact they're still doing it. So it's just so embarrassing that people like this can... I guess, sacrifice what little reputation they have in order to to gaslight for Israel, which really does show you something. Now, here is Sal Stanforth citing or showing you one of these earliest presentations. The first genocide in history where its victims are broadcasting their own destruction in real time. It's very sad. I don't know how anybody can listen to these presentations from you know people all around the world speaking up about what they're seeing who have the standing to speak on this and somehow dismiss it all as anti-semitic that's pretty sad at least try to do better than that oh wait I forgot to uh grab these videos one second there you go the
0: national community continues to fail the Palestinian people despite the overt dehumanizing, genocidal rhetoric by Israeli governmental and military officials matched by the Israeli army's actions on the ground. Despite the horror of the genocide against the Palestinian people being live-streamed from Gaza to our mobile phones, computers, and television screens, the
3: first genocide in history
0: where its victims are broadcasting their own destruction in real time, in the desperate, so far vain hope that the world might do something.
1: God, so sad. And sadly, many people don't care. Here, Al Jazeera reports. I mean, I I should probably just play these in in succession, but I'll some comments here and there. This is a lawyer presenting South Africa's Gaza genocide case at the ICJ. On seven. Hold on, that's not the right one. Did I miss one? Hold on. <clears throat> Let me grab that. Now, th- that one I was just about to start with is actually about 20 minutes long. I'm only going to play the beginning of it, but it's just really about the, the overt nature of all the statements, how obvious it all is, and the intent, how clear it all is. Let's do this one. Play this one next.
0: First three weeks alone, following 7 October, Israel deployed 6,000 bombs per week. At least 200 times, it has deployed 2,000-pound bombs. In southern areas of Palestine, designated as safe.
1: I, so that's one of those points that I don't know how anybody goes to get, it's provable. And the UN has called it out, but of course the UN is Hamas apparently, so that just, that's how flimsy their statements are. But that they say this is safe, and then provably use US bombs that are clums, like dead uh, dumb bombs, to bomb the safe areas. The Haaretz reported that, and so did the New York Times.
0: I don't know how you get away from that. These bombs have also decimated the north, including refugee camps. 2,000-pound bombs are some of the biggest and most destructive bombs available. They are dropped by lethal fighter jets that are used to strike targets on the ground by one of the world's most resourced armies. Israel has killed an unparalleled An unprecedented number of civilians with the full knowledge of how many civilian civilian lives each bomb will take.
1: Right? They know what they're doing. In context, this is the full 20-minute video. South Africa presents a list of statements by Israeli officials calling for genocide. A 20-minute video of listing off their statements proving that they called for genocide. And they're really trying to deny this, guys. That's what's so embarrassing for them. But it's obvious.
7: In a televised address, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu declared war on Gaza. And I quote, Israel had started clearing out the communities that have been infiltrated by terrorists. And he warned of an unprecedented price to be paid by the enemy. There are more than 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza. Israel is the occupying power in control of Gaza. It controls entry, exit, and the internal movements of inside Gaza. And, qua
1: prim- and by the way, don't miss that. That's I mean, most of us here in this community understand how obvious and provable that is. But there are still people arguing that Gaza is its own area and they have control of their own access. It's provably false, guys, and they just keep pushing these lies, sort of like the old stupid Bloomer lies about, they're all terrorists and there never was a Palestine. Like, those things don't exist anymore because they were always stupid arguments that you could prove were false. But these ones are still lingering along. But people like Bloomer still make those statements. It's embarrassing.
7: Minister, Mr. Netanyahu exercises overall command over the Israeli Defense Force and in turn, the Palestinians in Gaza. Minister Netanyahu in his address to the Israeli forces on 28 October 2023 preparing for the invasion of Gaza urged the soldiers to remember what Amalek has done to you. Mm -hmm. This refers to the biblical command by God to Saul for the retaliatory destruction of an entire group of people known as the Amalekites. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. The genocidal invocation to Amalek was anything but idle. It was repeated by Mr. Netanyahu in a letter to the Israeli Armed Forces on 3 November 2023. Madam President, let the Prime Minister's words speak for themselves.
6: has done to you says our holy Bible and we do remember and we are fighting our brave troops and combatants who
1: so I, I, I hate how the overlap is there you guys have seen this it's just it's the point where Netanyahu publicly said exactly what he just said he did about Amalek so she, just there's more that goes past that and I love that they're bringing in his own statements guys like these people seem legitimately invested in proving this
7: the deputy speaker of the Knesset, israel's parliament has called for the erasure of the gaza Strip from the face of the
1: earth so i just in interest of time i'll leave it there but i mean I i just this is important if you really haven't heard all these things if you haven't seen all the shows we did he just goes on one after another and lists off provable intent for genocide I don't know how they're going to get away from this. I, I mean, it's, I'm really, if, if there's any accountability at all, any honesty in any of this, they will be held accountable, but it's Israel's government won't care. But DeCensored News points out, on again, kind of a nod back to the earlier point about X and censoring around the conversation. Why is X deterring people from visiting what's called IsraelQuotes.com? So make sure you hear it, IsraelQuotes.com. Check it out. A site containing direct quotes from sor- with sources from Israeli and American leaders, military personnel, civilians, with a vague warning, calling it, you know, maybe it's the whole maybe unsafe thing they do, right? They used to say this for T-Lab too. Maybe it does still. All it is, is a site they don't want you to see. Here's Max pointing it out. And of course, you can't even, it doesn't even pop up down here. And it's just, it's just another catalog of exactly the case. It's what they're trying to prove right now. Of course, Twitter doesn't want you to see it. So here's a few more of these clips that I want you guys to hear. Great job Decensored News is doing, breaking this all down. Let's play through some of these.
6: We are joined in court by representatives of the Palestinian state, the Palestinians who work in the fields of human rights, including residents of Gaza, who were in Gaza just a few days ago. They are some of the lucky ones who managed to get out of Gaza. Their future and the future of their fellow Palestinians who are still in Gaza depend on the decision this court will make on this matter. South Africa unequivocally condemned the targeting of civilians by Hamas and other Palestinian armed groups and the taking of hostages on the 7th of October 2023.
1: Which I'm really glad they said. Right, you can't. You really have to make sure you play this exact. The point is, Hamas committed crimes. So if you're if you're going to stand up here and make these allegations, you have to acknowledge that, which I'm glad they did. But the main point is whether or not Hamas committed every crime they said does not then somehow remove their accountability for what they're doing.
6: And as again expressly recorded, this condemnation, mostly recently in its not verbal to Israel on the 21st of of December. 2023. That said, no armed attack on a state territory, no matter how serious, even an attack involving atrocity crimes, can provide any justification for or defense to breaches to the Convention, whether as a matter of law or morality. Israel's response to the 7th of October 2023 attack has crossed this line and give rise to the breaches of the convention. Faced with such evidence and our duty to do what we can do to prevent genocide, as contained in Article 1 of the convention, the South African government initiated this case.
1: And apparently, well, I think this was in the Electronic Intifada article. Apparently, Israel is taking this more serious than they'd like to let on. Because I think they, they've hired a very serious lawyer that's clearly trying to wage defense and not just standing up with the righteous indignation like they do everywhere else. So I, I think that they, do, they, they know that this could lead to something that whether or not there's le- you know physical action that could be taken against them, which it very well lead to a dissolving of their political standing around the world.
6: This case will be presented by a team of six legal counsels, comprising of Dr. Adila Asim, Mr. Tembegan Dugaitobi, Professor John Dugart, Ms. Blim Likrone, Mr. Max Dupris, and Professor Vagan Lowe. Dr. Adil Asim, Senior Counsel, will provide an overview of the risk of genocidal acts in the perpetual vulnerability to acts of genocide. Mr. Tembegan Dugaitobi, Senior Counsel, will examine Israel's alleged genocidal intent. Professor John Dugard, Senior Counsel, will focus on the prima facie jurisdiction. Professor Max Duplicis, Senior Counsel, will discuss the various rights currently under threat. Blini Crowell, King's Counsel, will, provide, will present the argument of agency and potential irreparable harm, and Professor wagen King's Counsel, will speak on the provisional measures.
0: It is a privilege to appear on behalf of the Republic of South Africa in this case of exceptional importance. It's a case that underscores the very essence of our shared humanity as expressed in the preamble to the Genocide Convention. It's my task to address the court on the genocidal acts that have led to this urgent request for provisional measures under Article 41 of the Statute of the Court. South Africa contends that Israel has transgressed Article 2 of the Convention by committing actions that fall within the definition of genocide. The actions show a systematic pattern of conduct from which genocide can be inferred. Man, you know, just this taking place is monumental.
1: I just don't want to downplay how important this is. No matter what happens next, the fact that this is being stated publicly at a at a meet at a, at a venue that the average person in the world takes seriously is going to have an effect. No matter what takes place next, I think that's important. These are people standing in the international community, human rights lawyers, and you know that are coming up and saying, not unequivocally, they committed genocide. I think this is powerful. I'm happy to see this happening.
0: To place these acts in context, Gaza is one of the two constituent territories of the occupied Palestinian territories occupied by Israel since 1967. Yep. It is a narrow strip of approximately 365 square kilometers as depicted in the map now displayed, Israel continues to exercise control over the space, territorial waters, land crossings, water, electric land crossings.
1: Like so, think about how, how in, the fact that you're getting told, even from people in the U.S. side of this, that that's not true. That apparently Hamas has control over this land crossing. Think about how ridiculous that is, that they're arguing that somehow they've given terrorist access to this land crossing. It's just so embarrassing. They've clearly, like Mark Lamont was just pushing back on this, they just lie about this, guys. And worse yet, they know they're lying about it, which speaks to the fact they know they're guilty.
0: ...electricity, electromagnetic sphere, and civilian infrastructure in Gaza, as well as over key governmental functions. As the Honorable Minister has said entry and exit by air and sea to Gaza is prohibited with Israel operating the only two crossing points. Gaza, which is one of the most densely populated places in the world, is home to approximately 2.3 million Palestinians, almost half of them children. For the past 96 days, Israel has subjected Gaza to what has been described as one of the heaviest conventional bombing campaigns in the history of modern warfare. Palestinians in Gaza are being killed by Israeli weaponry and bombs from air, land, and sea. They are also at immediate risk of death by starvation, dehydration, and disease. As a result of the ongoing siege by Israel, the destruction of Palestinian towns, the insufficient aid being allowed through to the Palestinian population, and the impossibility of distributing this limited aid while bombs fall, this conduct renders essentials to life unobtainable. At this provisional measures stage, as this court has made clear in the Gambia-Myanmar case, it is not necessary for the court to come to a final view on the question of whether Israel's conduct constitutes genocide. It is necessary to establish only whether at least some of the acts alleged are capable of falling within the provisions of the convention.
1: So hear that. All these screamers on Twitter acting like, show me all the people they've killed, or should, comparatively to other genocides. They didn't kill enough. Like these really stupid arguments that show that they don't know what they're talking about. What she said is exactly the reality, and then overlapping that with the intent, which is the easy, usually the hardest part to prove, which they have in spades. So think about that. All they're willing to do is is prove that some of them could have led to what they argue they tried to do. I think that's the most easy thing to prove in the world right now.
0: On analyzing the specific and ongoing genocidal acts complained of, it is clear that at least some, if not all of these acts, fall within the convention's provisions. Mm -hmm. These acts are documented in detail in South Africa's Um, application and confirmed by reliable often un sources it's that's unnecessary and impossible for me to recount all of them
1: and of course this is why they've gotten ahead of this by simply just saying the un is hamas or they're covering for hamas or they're all anti-semites right have fun proving that because that's a ridiculous statement that's factually incorrect but I'm not supporting the United Nations. But to argue that it's just a 30,000-strong group that exists inside of an open-air prison is somehow controlling the United Nations is pretty silly. But, you know, hey, you think that's the case, then you damn well better prove it. Even then, though, it still doesn't alleviate you from your genocidal actions.
0: I will highlight only some in order to illustrate the pattern of genocidal conduct. The UN statistics that are relied upon are up to date as of 9 January 2024. In South Africa's oral submissions, we will illustrate the facts that we rely on with limited use of audiovisual material. Madam President, we do so with restraint and only where necessary, and always with respect to the Palestinian people. Against this background, I move now to demonstrate, in turn, how Israel's conduct violates Articles 2A, 2B, 2C, and 2D of the Convention. The first genocidal act committed by Israel is the mass killing of Palestinians in Gaza in violation of Article 2A of the Genocide Convention. As the UN Secretary General explained five weeks ago, the level of Israel's killing is so extensive that nowhere is safe in Gaza. As I stand before you today, 23,210 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli forces during the sustained attacks over the last three months.
1: Now, I'm going to go ahead and, for the most part, leave it there and read you some of the other statements and give you her final statements, just in the interest of time. There's so much that we get it, we could get into, but this is important to understand that this is being presented unequivocally using actions they've taken That is, it's really undeniable. But she says she, she basically briefly summarizes the different ways that they have violated or are committing genocide, the infliction of serious or bodily or mental harm to Palestinians in Gaza in violation of the 2B of the convention. She says, she lays out the third acts, Israel has deliberately imposed conditions on Gaza that cannot sustain life and are calculated to bring about physical destruction. Again, the statement being destruction, not accuracy. These are the kind of things they're presenting, that they've trapped themselves with their own belligerent genocidal rhetoric, I guess, under the the assumption that they'd get away with it. She says, inflicting reproductive violence on Palestinian women, newborn babies, infants and children, including imposing measures intended to prevent births within a group. Think about that. I think that was, let me see, this
0: one. The UN Special Rapporteur on Violence Against Women and Girls has pointed to acts committed by Israel that would fall under the, under the fourth category of genocidal acts. In Article 2D.
1: Now here's, I can promise you tomorrow, Israel's going to use this point to argue that they only care about this. and They don't care about the women that claim they've been raped. This what the argument, right? When there, when there is zero legal evidence to make any allegation about that, which that's what's going to stand here. But the point is still the same. Even if you think that people were raped the entire time on October 7th, it doesn't then somehow remove their accountability for doing the same thing over here or elsewhere or in their prisons. So it's just all it's going to really do is a sort of, in a backward way, have them admit that they do it on, on the record. So let's see if they're that clumsy with their response like they usually are, just with righteous indignation, as opposed to trying to be more tactful about the way they argue that it's not, it's not the argument basically being, we can do it because they did.
0: Of the convention. On 22 November, she expressly warned the following. The, rep- the reproductive violence inflicted by Israel on Palestinian women, newborn babies, infants, and children could be qualified as acts of genocide under Article 2 of the Genocide Convention, including imposing measures intended to prevent births within a group. Israel is blocking the delivery of life-saving aid, including essential medical kits for delivering babies in circumstances where an estimated 180 women are giving birth in Gaza each day.
1: God damn it, think about that. 180 women a day? God. I mean, so right now, 150-plus children a day on average are being killed with the bombings. 180 apparently are being born every day, but I can promise you 180 of them aren't living. And it's horrifying to me that that's every day as these women are marching down these dirt roads or living in an area where they cannot survive by design with funguses and illnesses and things rising up by design all over the place. Cholera is probably the same, but these things will start happening because of the same things they've created like they created in Yemen. This is
0: deliberate. Of these 180 women, the WHO warns that 15% are likely to experience pregnancy or birth-related complications and need additional medical care. That care is simply not available.
1: Well, it's being denied under the guise that somehow the medical care will help Hamas. They're not saying that, but you realize their basic argument is, well, we don't bring it in because Hamas is going to use it or the field, you know, whatever, or they'll take it. In what way does that make sense? The whole point is that they're denying aid for all the people they pretend like they're trying to save from Hamas, which is obviously not the truth. They're just collectively punishing everybody that they don't want there. Now, here are our final remarks.
0: Madam President, all of these acts individually and collectively form a calculated pattern of conduct by Israel indicating a genocidal intent. This intent is evident from Israel's conduct in specially targeting Palestinians living in Gaza, using weaponry that causes large-scale homicidal destruction, as well as targeting, sniper, targeted sniping of civilians, yep. designating safe zones for Palestinians to seek refuge, and then bombing these.
1: Why do, they ever th- pal- Why do they ever think they would get away with that? I mean, you know what? Again, maybe they will, and then I'll, and that'll be exactly the point. But just think about how the impunity you act with when you do that,
0: knowing that people can see it. Palestinians in Gaza of basic needs, food, water, healthcare, fuel, sanitation, and communications. Destroying social infrastructure, homes, schools, mosques, churches, hospitals, and killing, seriously injuring, and leaving large numbers of children orphaned. Genocides are never declared in advance. But this court has the benefit of the past 13 weeks of evidence that shows incontrovertibly a pattern of conduct and related intention that justifies a plausible claim of genocidal acts. In the Gambia-Myanmar case, this court did not hesitate to impose provisional measures in relation to allegations that Myanmar was committing genocidal acts against the Rohingya within the Rakhine State. The facts before the court today are sadly even more stark and, like the Gambia-Myanmar case, deserve and demand this court's intervention. every day. There is mounting irreparable loss of life, property, dignity, and humanity for the Palestinian people. Our news feeds show graphic images of suffering that has become unbearable to watch. Nothing will stop the suffering except an order from this court. Without an indication of provisional measures, the atrocities will continue, with the Israeli Defense Force Indicating that it intends pursuing this course of action for at least a year. In the words of the UN Undersecretary General on 5 January 2024, I quote, You think getting aid into Gaza is easy? Think again. Three layers of inspections before trucks can even enter. Confusion and long queues. A growing list of rejected items. A crossing point meant for pedestrians, not trucks. Another crossing point where trucks have been blocked by desperate hungry communities.
1: And the point about the crossing is important because they're making them use this crossing as opposed to ones that would be designed for trucks. It's all designed to make this impossible so they can blame anybody but themselves.
0: A destroyed commercial sector. Constant bombardments, poor communications, damaged roads, convoys shot at, delays at checkpoints, a traumatized and exhausted population crammed into a smaller and smaller sliver of land, shelters which have long exceeded their full capacity, aid workers themselves displaced, killed. This is an impossible situation for the people of Gaza and for those trying to help them. The fighting must stop." Close quote. Madam President, members of the Court, that concludes my section on the genocidal conduct of Israel. I thank you for your patient attention, and I ask that you call Advocate Nuka Toby to the podium. To address the court on genocidal intent.
2: I thank Ms. Hasim, and I now invite Mr. Tembeke Nukatobi to address the court.
1: Which was the one I showed you earlier. But I, I've included so you guys can listen to the intent laid out in full display. But again, I quite frankly think that's the most obvious part of all of this. <clears throat> now, just a few more things to end with here. Here, this this is the the uh, representative of B'Tselem, the Israeli human rights group saying a quarter of Palestinians in Gaza are starving under their relentless siege. There is simply no justification. The Israeli government is at fault, and this should lead to immediate international action. Guys, they've lost control of this. They still have military control and the U.S. government blindly towing their lines, but everybody else seems to see exactly what's going on. That's an important thing to realize. Now, the Khaleesi here points out that South African lawyers have also written to Biden warning that they intend to begin proceedings against his government for being complicit in ongoing international crimes carried out by the Israeli government against the people of Palestine. I'm so glad to hear that. And I can guys, this is not the Democrats or the Republicans. This is the U S government. That's always been on this side and they deserve to be held accountable. Now, Richard Kemp here, my point from before simply says, if you really needed any further proof after everything you heard, by the way, that South Africa's case at the International Court of Justice is blatant anti-Semitism. Here it is, Corbin is in their delegation. You know Corbin, the one that they just broadly called the anti-Semite because he had different opinions, even though all it was was based on wink wink, you know, assumptions about what he means when he really means this. Like it's it's like saying when you say Zionism, you mean Judaism. It's not true. When I say the Israeli government committed crimes, I'm not talking about Jewish people, but they just can't stop doing that. And it's, it's lost its power. And my point here is if everything you hear and everything they can present and all of the damning evidence you can provide, all he can say is you're racist, they've lost. That's all I said. You're all racist is really the best you've got. That's pathetic, man. Like truly pathetic. But that's what they're doing. And Richard Gilsbert here says the same thing. This person says, today we were witness to one of the greatest shows of hypocrisy in history, compounded by a series of false and baseless claims. False and baseless claims? Like, they're just hoping that you don't look at what they presented. When they're laying out their statements backed up by their actions, and somehow that's false and baseless. That is screaming desperation. But as he says, when are the Israelis going to figure it out that name-calling isn't going to fly at the ICJ? They're losing. Abby Martin points out something important, though. And this is in regard to the U.S. president and, and South African lawyers aiming this at Biden, too. Bush passed a law known as the Hague Invasion Act, actually, what it's called, which says U.S. can invade the Netherlands to prevent American personnel from being charged with war crimes. Because that's what good guys do, right? Or threaten the International Criminal Court, the families of the prosecutors, as both Pompeo and Bolton did because they threatened to investigate crimes in Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, right. Because those are the good guys, right? My God, it's really time that we reflect on who these people really are. And as Tiberius writes, this is huge. The International Court, Criminal Court, the ICC, have now set up a portal. The link is right here for you for any submission of evidence of Israeli war crimes and crimes against humanity. Anyone can upload these, including videos and images. Please share far and wide. So if you've got something to say and you've got some evidence you think is important, upload it. I'm really hoping that something actually begins to snowball here. Now I'm going to, I'll end with just acknowledging this great article that Robert put out today. Israel is trying to drag the U S into regional war after the failure in Gaza. Now, for me, the main point then you can read this, there's more to it, but the main point is that I believe his actions to try to draw right now, right. It's happening right now. The, the, U.S. actions in Iraq, Syria, Israeli actions in Lebanon, Syria, against Iran. They're trying to create a multi-front war. Because I guarantee, in my opinion, that it's about trying to draw in the U.S. and the West so everything else falls by the wayside. If all of a sudden we found ourselves in this massive world war scenario, well, I'm pretty sure the accusations of genocide might fall away for a minute. Probably the best they can do. And you know what? Biden and Blinken completely seem to be okay with that. So speak up, guys. Don't let this happen because they're fracturing everything to make this happen at the expense of everyone but themselves. Thank you for tuning in today, guys. I think it's really important that we continue to highlight all of this. Now, look, I've got no illusions that this is going to go exactly the way we want it to. I'm a pessimist in this regard. I don't think government rarely comes through, but I believe we're seeing something happen here. And at the very least, just like I would hope that you might be right about what Trump is, we should always hope that this turns out the way it should. And then when it doesn't, we call it out at that time in the same way. But as I said, even this stage has already changed things. Their their belligerent actions have already changed the face of this conversation forever. It's time for us to capitalize on that and continue to fight for accountability, even if it goes beyond this step because that's what we do. So thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to support our work at The Last American Vagabond, there's lots of ways down beneath for you to do so. We need your help because we're always trying to grow and we're always under attack more than most, I think, are out out there in this field, quite frankly. I think that's an easy thing to prove. So if you'd like to continue to support us, you know, we're getting all the flack. I think we're over the target. First of all, share the work. Get it in front of people. Have conversations about it. Discuss these things. Use the source material. $1 a month on our recurring platform on our website and never thinking about again, changes everything. Just a few more people every day and we will grow rapidly. So thank you for tuning in tonight, guys. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.